Hey, what is up, y'all? Welcome to, well, I guess cocktail hour, our second cocktail hour that we've had here. Um, my mic keeps acting up. Sorry about that. So cheers to everybody out there watching. I'm your host, Edward Euler. Happy to be joined tonight by a good friend of mine and acclaim board game designer, war game, uh, combat simulation designer, as well as political Oh, game. yeah. We got it all. Uh, designer, Mark Herman. So, Mark, thanks for hanging out tonight, man. Hi, everybody. Uh, all right. So, first off, Mark, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a uh, Balvini 12-year neat. Okay. I put nice. myself two fingers. That's not too bad, you know. <laughs> I, won't get, I won't get hammered. Good. Um, you'll notice mine's very, very green. It is uh, it's, it's actually somewhat healthy up until you put the gin in it. Um, so <laughs> there's a, like there, a celery. No, 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 no. This is uh there's like a, a, there's a vegan restaurant that is here in town that, uh, that serves this drink minus the alcohol. And I basically backwards engineered it. What it is, is two parts apple juice, one part pineapple juice, a handful of cilantro and a jalapeno in a blender. Uh, the jalapeno in the, in the uh, that's what makes it green. Obviously. The, yeah. And the cilantro and then um, put it over, over some uh, Bombay Sapphire and uh, there we Everything go. It's good with Bombay Sapphire. Seriously. Oh, that's so good. It's spicy. Yeah. Ooh, wow. That's hot. Oh, it's so good. Good stuff. All right. So, um, yeah, let's start off. Uh, how are you and the family doing? First off, uh, thank thank God. Uh, my wife uh, and I are sheltering in um, right up the block. We're in Midtown East. So basically, you know, just uh, how many blocks? Uh, Ten blocks that way is New York, NYU, Langone, Bellevue and Mount Sinai, which is more or less the center of horror. Right. Uh, sadly, I it, it just mind 777 people died down the block yesterday. I mean, it's like, what? Wow. So my wife and I have been sheltering in place. I I used to do a lot of this kind of uh, pandemic uh, crisis um, gaming, you know, uh, exercises. And so we started sheltering in place back in the end of uh, February. Oh, so wow. Okay. I've basically been out of circulation on the world other than I had to go, you know, other than some very essential moves twice. I have been in this apartment. Luckily, it's uh, luckily my wife and I like each other. So it's going along. Okay. <laughs> and uh, seriously, that way it's not what was it? Seven hundred and seventy. Is it that way? It wasn't seven hundred and seventy eight. Not to make light of it. Please. Yeah, yeah, Nobody out there. Yeah, I'm it would have been it would have been tough. It would have been tough. Right. And, we, you know, this is Manhattan. So thank, you know, God bless the uh, delivery people and the grocers and people that, you know, don't ever get the real, you know, besides the, you know, the doctors and all that, that's ridiculous stuff. But I give as much credit to the delivery people and the grocers who keep the, you know, I get delivered food delivered to the house and, you know, it gets delivered to the front of the building and somebody puts it into an elevator, comes up to my place, I take it out. And so my wife is an amazing cook. So, uh, and, and also right before this, I actually bought a rowing machine. I realized that, you know, this is going to be a long stay and I cannot exercise for a year. Right. So I, I row every day, work out. I actually lost seven pounds. <laughs> so the, the seven pounds I couldn't lose. I finally lost. <laughs> that, that, oh, the irony, <laughs> right? Stress, stress, you know? <laughs> oh, don't I know. I hear you. It's so. Funny. All yeah. right. Well, I'm glad to hear. Uh, so that's you and the wife. What about uh, the rest of the family? Because oh, we so went my, out to the Cape. 
uh, and and met some of your well, first uh, off, yeah well you met my daughter so that daughter and son-in-law and uh, granddaughter are sheltering very safely in Los Angeles okay and you know they got a nice place and again delivery they haven't been out of their house but they're all safe and my son moved back from San Jose just before this happened and he's about he's in Brooklyn about maybe I mean, as a crow flies probably five miles from here but we talked to everybody by FaceTime every day you know Good. The way the the way of the world now. It really is. Uh, whether it's I've, FaceTime, Zoom, Skype here. I, I have every single software package on this computer. This microphone and this camera now are set up and I'm I mean I I, I, and I've turned my life into online gaming and working on games and writing. That's what I'm doing now for my life until, you know, maybe I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing until January. <laughs> it's it's going to be a while. Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, word just came out yesterday. Yeah. Origins got postponed to September. Oh, yeah. I even think that's ambitious. I really do because I give up. I, I, I've, I sort of said to my you know, Carol's my wife. I said to Carol, I said, I kind of am, I'm looking at. How how can I look a year of my life is an important part, especially when you're older. But I want to make sure this year is not, you know, I, I was reading something. Uh, Isaac Newton was escaping the plague. Right. And in that and I think it's like 1645 or something like that. And so in that year, he um, invented gravity, optics and calculus. So you know, had a good year. It, it was solid. It was solid. It was solid. Better than most. Solid performance. <laughs> now I'm not going to come anywhere close, but I am going to get there's a couple of you know games I'm going to finish, and I'm going to write a lot of articles, and that's what I'm doing for the year. And All then, right. And at some point they'll let me out of house arrest. You know. Seriously. Uh, so okay. I, I mean, I I would be remiss since you opened the door on that. What what games you working on? Well, what's today? Today? Did it come out today? Anyway, I am the. You'll see on the P500 either – I haven't looked at my email. Over on GMT, today. for those that don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the P500 for GMT. Yep. Did it come out today? I don't know. I didn't look in a little while, but um, Pacific War is uh, – the reprint of Pacific War is going to go on the P500 either today or Monday, whenever it's going to be. And I, I'll tell you, what's interesting is it is easier to for me to design a game from scratch than it is to go back and – Take apart Pacific War and then republish it, but why? Got time. Ah, that's a good. Uh, I'll have a good answer, but it's going to be all right. We got time. Uh, I, you you going anywhere? No. <laughs> uh, this is it. You know, this is the highlight of my day right now. All right uh, then. Uh, so Pacific. So Pacific War was is like a time machine to 1985. So I was 31 years old. Um, I had a two year old and running Victory Games, and this game. You know, I threw my my then heart and soul into, and quite frankly, it's one of those games. It's a very very deep simulation. You know, lots of and of course, I might have spent the last thirty five years reading a few more books on the topic. So sure. I'm literally going through every single scenario and updating the order of battles, and which is a lot of work in itself. And I even found, I mean, I, I actually Twitter uh, tweeted out a picture of I had a box in a location I recovered. I saw that. I saw this tweet. Yes, I have all my original notes from 35 years ago, totally intact. I was stunned, but there it was. So I've been going. Through, I've been reorganizing all that old data so I can use it again, just to see what I had done. You know, 35 years is a couple of years. <laughs> I might have. I might have forgotten a few things. Right. Yeah. You may have slept between uh, then yeah. and now. I didn't do a, a Rip Van Winkle. So uh, you know, I, I. It's good to know 
why did I rate that ship? Well, I have all the ships with all the numerical ratings and how I derived them, which I have forgotten how I did it. But now I have the, you know, I can say, okay, I either agree or don't agree, but I can, but actually I did a pretty good job on them. So, so taking it apart, cleaning it up. Now it's going to be, if you knew how to play Pacific War back in 1985, you can play the 2021 to, I don't know when it'll come out. Right. You know, actually in the market. Um, cause of all the problems with the supply chain, you know, California shut down. So nothing comes into the GMT warehouse and nothing goes out of the GMT warehouse. So, you know, and, and, so, and I think everyone's understanding of that. So, well, I mean, the, you, you get, you get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, uh, I mean, take it serious, right? Yeah, it's a serious thing. Uh, so, you know, with that whole thing shut down, you know, it, backing up the system. So they don't want more games coming into Oakland that they have to store in Oakland and then, you know, it costs money. So sure. everything's kind of off for a little while. But Gene's talked about all that in his, you know, his his various things. Mm-hmm. But um, but Pacific War. Uh, so I'll finish it, you know, in 2020 and it'll go through. And the art and because of, you know, this is the third try, third time pays for all. If you like the Tolkien uh, phrase uh, first MMP. Uh, actually, this thing even started because of MMP. And they kind of lost interest. I and mean, this goes back a number. I can't remember how many years this goes back, like eight nine years ago they got interested so i said screw it i don't care you know i didn't publish it with them and then nuts came along and they wanted to do it and then finally i couldn't get a hold of them then like literally three years after i couldn't get a hold of them they come back we thought you knew that we weren't going to do it i said you never you know i, I sent you an email couldn't you say, you know, could you just tell me? Said, like my you know i keep telling people i used to be able to read minds when i was 16 but i lost that ability so i you know so so finally i said you know what i was kind of pissed off i said you know this is crazy. So I called up Gene. He said, I want it. Great. So it's home. You know, it will get done now. You know, I mean, assuming that people want to buy it, you know, it'll, it'll be a one-time collector's edition, uh, but it's a time machine. You know, it's not a game I would have designed now. It's a game I designed then. Because you but, had more time and... Uh, no, it's just not a matter of time. I, I, I think that if you were looking for a light war game, don't buy this. <laughs> Don't do it. You know, if you're looking for a very detailed game system that covers the you know land, air, and sea of the Pacific, and with all the detail and nuance, night actions, torpedoes, I mean, the whole the whole goddamn thing, then this is what you want. Okay, all and, right. But don't go here. You see, what I don't want to. I'll tell you, and I'm warning anybody who sees this: if you buy Pacific War. And then you write on BGG something like, I was I, I didn't realize it was gonna be so complicated. Let me tell you, this is the height of complicated, okay? Don't go there. You know, if you like, you know, nice airy kind of, you know, if you like my Gettysburg game, if you like my Waterloo game, and that's kind of like, oh, that's enough of a war game for me, don't go it. I don't need you to buy it. I don't want people unhappy. I don't want to oversell it. I'm just being very straight up. This is a this is like the like think about the the apex of what an SPI victory game simulation would be. That's what Pacific War is. Wow. And that turns you on, and a lot of people did turn a lot of people on. Then this go all in. You have like, there'll be like 30 scenarios that play from 15 minutes to like 100. Well, the, the whole, you know, there are a lot of three hour scenarios that you can play mm-hmm. this thing. You know, it'll hit the table, you can play it. I've only played the campaign, the whole war, three times. That takes forever. And so, although now it's a good time, if you have an old copy of Pacific War and you kept saying, I always wanted to play the strategic well, now's uh, the time. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's like a <laughs> Snickers commercial, right? Not going anywhere for a while. There you go. Play you Pacific go. War. So there and you go. The game that's behind you. The reason that I did Empire of the Sun was I did want to fight the war. 
Oh, you saying hi to Jess or something? No, no, no. I'm pointing at I'm pointing oh, at pointing, Empire pointing, of the Sun okay. right oh, yeah. here. I just you're, you're I, I I get my left and right backwards <laughs> when it's behind me. So there you go. So, so Empire of the Sun is why I designed Empire of the Sun because playing the strategic scenario in Pacific War is not really I did it three times in my life so far. I'll do it like one more time mm-hmm. for the, for this. But um it's not really credible. But Empire of the Sun is meant you can fight the war in a long afternoon, and that's why I did Empire of the Sun, and that's why I play Empire of the Sun a lot because I like fighting the war. But if you want to fight the, you know, the Guadalcanal invasion, and you want to fight the Battle of Coral Sea in in great detail, this is your game. Okay, so you good. don't even have to worry about playing the whole kit and caboodle. You could just break out the one battles that I don't, you know no. you're in the mood for. The campaign scenarios are very. We used to do tournaments of this thing at WBC for a decade, so it's very playable. It's a very logical, playable game. Uh, it's got a lot of great tension, but you know, like if you want this to be the whole war, it will let you do it. It's just, you know, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be, it's like a hundred hours or something. I don't know. Okay. Right? All right. Takes a long time, but, All right. but the campaign scenarios, which I play, been playing for 35 years, you know, there are three hour campaign scenarios that are quite good. I, I particularly like the, uh, the, the Guadalcanal campaign scenarios, like my favorite. Great Why? Scenario. Why is it your favorite? Well, it's got all the elements of land, air, and sea, and the reaction, and the planes, and the, you know the big battles. But three hours. Okay, makes sense. I, I can do it. All right. So you you talked about because I mean half the things that I see you tweeting about are Empire of the Sun. Um, oh, yeah. You, you don't get sick of that game, it. huh? You don't get sick of that game. No. You don't get tired of playing it, ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you. You know, I got to tell you something. I have, so let's talk about what I've been doing lately. Okay, let's, sure. So what I like, so a lot of people are very into, like, you know, look, your your channel, God bless you, and I watch, you know. You know, every other day you're playing a new game, right? Uh That means you're you're learning a new game Uh and you kind of get into it. And, you know, I don't, I know you're much smarter than I am, but oh, hush, you know, no, but, but you're gonna, but you only get so good at playing a game like once or twice. Oh, right? totally, a hundred percent. That's the case. And, yes. and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm just from a different generation. I mean, I was born in a black and white world. And so, you know, we used to get a game, which would be all of our disposable income, and we'd play the game for a year. Right. I mean, I remember my mother going to me one day, I was, boy, you have a lot of games. At that time, I had four. Now, don't get me wrong. If it wasn't for the show, yeah. I might not be that restricted on this, but it would be a lot tight, oh, worlds tighter than it is now. Like, yeah, I would be able it. to, because there are games to where after we stream it or we review it on the podcast or whatever it is, right, right, right. I would love to be able to go back and, wow, I really want to be able to play that, but. You yeah. don't have time. And so, unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't happen. So if I didn't have the show, I absolutely would want to play the hell out of some of these games. Yes. Yeah. So so the games I've been playing the hell out of was, um, uh, you know, Uli Blenemann from Spielberg. Of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so Uli gets a hold of me and he says, you know, do you want to play PAX Premier? So I said, sure, I'll do anything to play. So now all of a sudden there's a Wednesday one o'clock game, the same five guys. It's Uli this very nice guy named Stefan Barth, I think his name is. I don't know him, but he's a very nice man. Then my good friend Terry Coleman and my good friend Jeff Engelstein. And the five of us play PAX Premier Wednesday at 1 o'clock. Although they're starting to go, maybe we should play another five-player game. I'm going, no, let's – and I'm actually starting to, to get good at PAX Premier. <laughs> I actually think, you know, Cole, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for you, boy. I'm coming for you, Cole. <laughs> First or second edition are you guys playing? 
It is the second edition. Okay. All right. But we're playing it on Vassal. So, you know, there's we're, we're, it's a Vassal set, which is beautiful. Yep. But it's like I get to the point now where I actually know the cards. Like when a card goes, oh, that's a good card. That's not a, you know, I'm now understanding the cards and why I would go for certain sure. cards or in strategy, which is nice. That's a, that's a different kind of fun, right? Um, I've been playing a lot. M- Empire of the Sun, you were making, I, I've been playing that continuously. And, um, in fact, we just started another match on CSW uh, Constant World. Uh, just I, I posted the first move for South Pacific Scenario today, and um, tomorrow from nine to one, I'm playing. I, I agreed to do this. I mean, I, it's just more of an event. But we're playing a whole bunch of us are playing. Uh, a, I think the first turn of Here I Stand. That's going to be like, you know, that'll be like done in December, I suspect. Right. Uh, but we're going to do that tomorrow. So is it all a- asynchronous on that, on the Here I Stand stuff? No, we do. Everything we're doing is uh, like this. We, we, we okay. hook up the uh, Skype mm-hmm. you know, for the sound. Some people put their videos on or not. It doesn't matter. We're using it for the sound. And we're playing Vassal in real time. That's and, awesome. Yeah. So it's, it feels like, look, I know these guys. These are the guys I, I game with in New York City. And um, and then I'll, and I also have a, a, a 1 o'clock game on Sundays that I host. So I actually host one. And the other ones I, I'm playing in somebody else's hosting. But I host a one o'clock game on Sunday with a bunch of guys. And we've been playing Pax Premier also. But we're going to probably move it up some other things. So, and then another group of my friends, uh, we all, there was a Steam um, sale on a bunch of games. We all got uh, Through the Ages, which is also a great game. Yes, it is. So one play. of my favorites. So, we're playing. so I'm trying to focus on just a few games uh, and just get good at them. You know, why not? This way, like when he, I don't have to keep looking at rules, I just we shoot it up and we start playing, you know, and, and that's been fun too. There's, there's, there's a special kind of joy that comes from not having to, Oh, let me look that up or whatever. Yeah, and just, just up. sit and play. I, I don't need to look up, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at absorbing rules, but especially when I play it over and over again. So I haven't looked at a rule book playing packs or through the ages or, um, of course, Empire of the Sun. Uh, I mean, I got it's all it's all in the in the RAM now. So, <laughs> and when we play, by we're not playing cutthroat. I'll say to somebody, "Oh, you do you know that?" And I'll say, "Like by the way, if this is what's going to happen, unless you block him, because he's going to win the game, like in the next two rounds." You know, we can. We, and I always go, "Oh, by the way, the deck is at this point. You know, there's going to be a dominance card coming out within the next three cards." You know, so yeah. That see, in my opinion, that's how you should be yeah. because if yeah. I'm going to beat you, I want to beat you because I beat you, not because you forgot about yeah. something. So I make I and I always tell people, that, "Look, if I'm annoying you, um, uh, if I annoy you." You know, I'll stop. They go, no, 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 no. <laughs> you got the game down. Just keep telling us when something's going to go off the rails. So that's what I've been doing. Good so stuff. Been with that. Yeah, I, I would like to play more Churchill, but after having beat you and Jess in the same game, <laughs> I pretty much retired from Churchill because that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, I was I, like, I, nope. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, love the game, but <laughs> too bad I can't play that anymore. All right. So uh, actually, there's uh, a couple of guys, you know, Churchill and, uh, I see Churchill and Pericles getting a bunch of play now, you know, because people are doing this. Now that people are doing the Skype thing, yep, they're yep. all the multiplayer games are in again. You don't have to go to a convention, right? Everybody's got the time to, you know, play a few hours and play a game. It's it's definitely a it's a bit of a it, it's just a weird world right now with everything. And so since we transitioned to where either I'm going to do just solo games, possibly two player uh, with Jess. Jess is currently upstairs streaming some stuff, uh, code names with CGE and Mark Street from Dice Tower and stuff. And she and I might do some two player things. But other than that, if we're going to do uh, multiplayer, 
and we're going to start next week, uh, it's all going to be over Skype. And uh, unless uh, I can figure out how to implement Zoom, but I think it's going to be on Skype. So it's going to be interesting to see that it, as long as I thought, as long as there isn't hidden information that we would be able to like set, I'd set up the game here, the whole nine yards. And then people would say what they're doing. I move their pieces, whatever. And, you know, like Mark's up here, you know, you're up in the top right-hand corner. So I have your tableau up there or whatever. Um, however, yeah, see, that's where Vassal. So I believe that Vassal will let you do a screen. Uh, I don't know about Skype. I know Zoom will let you do a screen capture. So you could actually see the board while talking. See, and here's the thing. We, we, we actually have talked about that with my local group, right? Uh, talked about how do we go about actually streaming some of these games. That, you know, there's Tabletop Simulator. There's, there's Tabletopia. There's Vassal. There's uh, Board Game Arena. There's Yucata. There, there's a whole bunch of either sites or apps. Yeah. And I'm of the mind that online implementations, I guess, would be okay. They're, 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 they, they vary in quality. Right. I, I and, and for me, if, it is, if I own the game and it's possible for me to set it up here at the table, I don't mind doing the maintenance of here. I will move your piece here. I will do this. Yeah, yeah. You no, know. It, it's going to. I mean, th- that would work also. But again... It's the fact that I can see and hear you, so I know what I'm doing. You can yeah. see the board while yeah, doing yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to be able to see the board. A hundred percent. And and the fact that you and I aren't on delay, just the chat is on the twenty second or thirty second delay. Then there's no pause there. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, are you moving here? No, there. Okay, right, and whatever, right. Yeah. Obviously, when it comes to some of the bigger war game stuff, that that that's probably going to have to be over on Vassal or something like that. So speaking of which yes. you and I had talked about uh, right before we went live with this about um, you and I maybe doing a teaching game of Empire of the Sun. Sure. I'm happy to do it. I, yes, please. Because if there's anybody that I would rather, <laughs> you, you gave me, you gave me and Jess, when we were out at the Cape at yep. your house, you gave us a 10 minutes. Yeah. I was going to say 10, 15 minute overview. And you were like, okay, so now you basically know the gist of how to play Empire of the Sun. And I was like, I've always heard it was way harder than that. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. See, so what we would do though, is I think we would, maybe you can get a hold of a copy. Well, the Vassal set's available, but uh, we'll play South Pacific. The scenario, it's a small scenario. Mm -hmm. See, the way I teach a, a lot of games, but particularly Empire of the Sun is I think of like concentric circles and there's an intercentric concentric circle of Empire of the Sun, which is how do you play a card and go after somebody, you know, launch an offensive. And that's what I showed you and Jess mm-hmm. in like 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. Um, the next concentric circle is the supply and activation rules. Like, you know, who can, you know, how do I block you or stay from being blocked? You know, that kind of stuff. And then the third concentric circle is all of the, you know, what's going on with, you know, the, the overall strategy of the game. You know, there's the war in Europe and there's like, do I fight in China, Burma, India theater? Or do I attack here? And, you know, what's what's the right balance and trade offs? That's the third one. So what I find is South Pacific, by being a smaller map and situation, allows you to focus on the inner circle and one out that the third ring is very lightly touched on, but it, it because you have less cards, less terrain, less things to look at, it becomes mentally tractable. Okay, the yeah. Are, the, the rules are identical, but you you sort of cut out 
the space. And by putting you in that smaller room, you can say, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. And a lot of people, you know, you'll have to excuse me one second. You know, one thing is I don't have coronavirus, but I do have allergies. And, <laughs> I, and I, I, get a, I get sneezing fits on occasion yeah. with my allergies. So totally understand. Yeah. Or it, it, yeah, it, back before the isolation thing became, yeah. you know, a lot more serious than it or less. It wasn't as serious. I would sneeze in public and I'd like start looking around like people going to start, you know, running away from me just because my allergies. But I get that. So anyway, uh, so I would, so I'm just maybe one of your guys, or we can get, I can get Roger McGowan to mail you and say, my problem is I get you, I have copies, but I can't get to a mailbox. So sure. You know, yeah, well, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't think that'd be a problem. So we'll, we'll be able to figure that out. That that'd be awesome. I would love to, I would love to do that. Oh, there we go. I, I mean, there's nobody better to do that with than Well, I, than I think you. I know better than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, not all designers are that way though, with their games, you know? Sometimes they're like, yeah, yeah, it's been so long. I don't remember all the rules on something. Uh, well, to be fair, I mean, if you if you sprung one of my really old ones on me, I'd have to look at the rules. Right. I, mean, I don't know how to play it broadly, but I wouldn't remember all the rules. But all of my, I mean, Washington's War, Empire of the Sun, for the people I could play, I don't have to look at anything to right. play those. On that note, no. So another thing that we had talked about is that you're basically going to be sheltering in place for the better part of a year, if not more, until they got to stick a vaccine in my arm. Right. <laughs> so, like so this may not be practical. Okay. Let me. So yeah. the the one that and I warned you I was going to spring something on you. Okay. That uh, what do you got next war or something? Uh, not quite. But I I would love. Oh, I I don't know how to play that. Well. I would love to to sit down and I've promised to do the smallest scenario in this game oh. on the show. And you were the first person I thought of to uh, I have to get the rule. I got to be honest with you. So I have not. It's actually around the corner. I have a that's World Harry, in Flames Harry, for those that are listening Harry and Roland, not watching. The designer of that is a guy named Harry Rowland is an Australian guy. Yep. I, mean, I haven't seen Harry in forever, but I think we communicated a few times over the years. But. Uh, old friend, and he gave me. I have an original copy of an unpunched original copy of World Flames. I mean, World in Flames. Right. Um, and every so often, I'd see him at a convention. He'd, get, he'd throw me like the latest, you know, the the new airplanes or some other pack of counters. So I got a bunch of stuff in a box over there. I played it once with Harry, like when it came out. You know, so I got, but you know, I have no idea how to play. No, it. No, no, I hear you. It's just it. But, it, but if you. If we got the rules and you got the game, what the heck? I'm always up for a game. What the heck? I'll try. All but right. I, I, I think that be, uh, it's a good thing. And, and again, if you ask me like a game that would be, you know, if, if so, if you were to say to me, what's your go to European war game, which that is world, well, world in flames is the whole, you know, it's got, you know, the whole world. Right. Uh, I would say that I would play Krieg or one of its, you know, ante, you know, antecedents before any other European game. If I was going to play a European game, that's a good game. Uh, I really like that one. That's a Kaczynski and uh, Alan Emmerich uh, title. That's a good one. Really. I've heard of it, and that—that's the extent of my knowledge on that one. Yeah. Well, so, but World in Flames is is. I mean, that's that's hard to do even face to face. It started as a lark. It started as a, oh, you can do this. And I basically yeah. I, I'm one of those people that, you know, tell me I can't do it. 
and I'm going to prove to you I can. Well, okay. Well, I, I look, I would never, I would never tell a Marine what he can do. Yeah, exactly. See, so, so <laughs> I have committed to doing that. That was pre <laughs> pre shelter in place. But uh, yeah, by the end of the year, uh, my goal right. is to we'll try and get that it. stream. So, but all I right. Good deal. Too much quicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what else? Uh, what else have you been doing? I mean, obviously rowing, um, working yeah. on games, and drinking scotch. Anything else? Uh, actually, this is the first scotch I've had. I don't drink a lot. I don't so, either. I, my Bombay but, Sapphire. I kid yeah. you not. I've had a, bo- a, a bottle of Bombay Sapphire since I was in the Marine Corps, and I got out of the Marine Corps three days before nine eleven. There you go. So you. So yeah. That. Right. Yeah. No. I um. I the last time I ha- I had Carol and I had a glass of wine each about. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, but I figured if I'm going to say, you said it was a cocktail hour. I figured I had to have a cocktail. So. Fair enough. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, that's, uh, I mean, you don't have to, but, well, I but yeah. Like a, I, yeah. you know, I said, what the heck, you know, I'll sit yeah. here and drink, mellow myself out while I'm sitting here talking to Edward, you know, there, there you go. I, well, I appreciate it. So, um, so how are things going with, uh, with, with GMT as far as, on your end of things. Cause you well, talked about uh, like working on Pacific family. war and everything. Everything with GMT goes great. I mean, I, they're like my family. I, you know, these are like my best friends. So everything goes great with GMT. Um, yeah. You know, they're doing, luckily they're in very good shape. So, I mean, they're paying their people and, you know, they're, we're all just trying to get through this, you know, uh, Versailles is 1919 is, was done and is already in, in the printer in China. That's so at some point, a box of Versailles 1919s is going to, I kept telling you, I was just joking around. I don't want to use the gallows humor, but, but that's going to be the only other, I did two games were already published and this was going to be like my biggest year of publishing, but now, you know, that's not going to happen. But uh, we had France 1944 come out and Waterloo 1815 came out uh, in January and Versailles would have come out like in, like in a month or so. Uh, so Versailles might get published and shipped to America in a month or so, but I don't know when somebody can take it out of a shipping container and stick it into a thing and put it in the post office. So I don't know right. when that's going to happen. All right. But the game is already um, at the printers, and I suspect it'll be in the United States. You know, you know, I don't know what's going on in, in China with production, but at some point it'll show up here by the summer, I'm guessing. But until they can uh, get people in the warehouse to open shipping c- containers and put, you know, do all the labeling and all that kind of, that's a whole operation. So that's, that's who knows when that's going to happen. I mean, on the one hand, but it'll happen I know, this year. I, I, I know I, I'm comfortable that at some point this year, Versailles will be in people's hands. I just can't tell you beyond that. And then everything else I'm doing has all been like rebel fury was well along the way. Uh, that's the civil war battles, like based on the Gettysburg system. But, you know, who knows? But, I mean, I'll finish it. Well, you know, I've been reading. Well, actually, right now I'm doing I'm heavily into the Pacific War right now. But Rebel Fury is more than half done. I'm just waiting for some more maps from my uh, map guy, uh, Rick Barber. I was going to actually reach out to him probably tomorrow, see how he's doing and see how uh, the, uh, you know, the wilderness maps are coming. Uh, but that's the only thing that's really holding that project up at this point. I've got a, you know most of the research is done and I've already got uh, Chancellorsville and um, Chickamauga are totally done. Um, working on Chattanooga, you know, as a parallel thing, uh, I'll get Fredericksburg won't be much. That's really a solitaire, you know, training scenario. And, uh, and then it's just the wilderness and then I'm done with that one, but then it goes into art, but you know, everything's slowed down. So, you know, who that's a 2021 thing at this point. Okay. 
What's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite period to, to do, to model? Because uh, like you said, you, I mean, you, you're doing a ton of research for each of these games. Yeah, so well, you've got to have a favorite period of time. Like for me, it would be ancient Rome. Um, so I have, I have sort of, you know, most historians know a lot about something, right? Sure. I'm really a historian who's a game designer. So there are, there's like five periods that I'm very, very deep in. You know, one is um, Aegean Sea, you know, the Greeks, you know, right. Peloponnesian War period. I, I studied that in college and I have an ancient history degree. The Roman Republic is another one. Know a lot about that, you know, from my old, you know, my research and everything. Um, then it's like the wars of the United States, you know, revolution, the, you know, the War of 1812, uh, the Civil, Civil War, War right. and, you know, World War One. you know, all of the wars of America, uh, but particularly the World War Two and particularly Pacific. So, you know, I've got some very deep areas. And then every so often I, you know, I've done things in other areas, but there's, you know, I, Versailles, you know, is a good one. I, I'm really more into like the political military history these days. If I had my druthers, you know, Pacific War is a deep war game. I mean, there's, there's, there's zero politics in it. Right. Empire of the Sun's got a fair amount of, has a, a, a touch of politics in it with the you know, political will um, metric for victory. Um, but, uh, you know, Versailles and Churchill and Pericles uh, are all political military games. Uh, Versailles is actually a political game. It's almost got no, it's got almost zero military in it. Uh, it's really a uh, negotiation and issues game. Um, and we're going to do follow-ons to that. Um, is that, is that where you're trending? Like, is that what interests you the most? Yeah. These days, I mean, okay. my interest, you know, evolved, but I think all of my years and, and I'm also still doing, um, department of defense, uh, gaming, uh, uh, you know, they, they call me, you know, you know, they call me up and they say, Hey, can you help us out? And I, I do. So I, uh, here, give me one second. I'm gonna show you something. Okay, good. Cause I was gonna, I was gonna, I mean, I wasn't going to let that go without diving into that. And we're going to talk about the stuff that's in the background back there too, by the way. Yeah. So I don't know if you could see, oh, you can see this pretty well, right? Yeah. 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 So we get that. There we go. Uh, war in the China seas. Uh, mm -hmm. this was a game I did for, um, you know, the department of defense. It's, um, it's, you know, they, there's maybe, I don't think there's a hundred copies in existence. Okay. And, and the secretary, uh, the deputy secretary of defense has actually played it. I got rules questions from him. That's and, amazing. Uh, <laughs> and, and the secretary of defense has looked at it, but he felt it was a bit much, you know, he's a busy guy. So, but it's been used, uh, but you know, so I'm, so I'm how do they, hold on. How do they use these? Well, the idea was, all right. So, so obviously China has a military and they developed a thing they call, um, you know, it's an area denial strategy. You know, it's like they have these islands. They sort of taken over the South China Sea. I think everybody knows that more or less. The Spradley Islands, the Paracels. Right. There's been all these disputes with the Vietnamese, the Filipinos, the Indonesians, uh, Singapore over these various reefs and islands. And then you have Taiwan, right? That's mm -hmm. a big issue. And then they have these other islands, like the Senkaku Islands and all that. They're sort of, for a while, uh, the Chinese were saying that they tried to put like FAA regulation. You can't fly through the airspace of these islands that belong to Japan unless you talk to us first. So that, that was a big hash up. So there's a lot of disputes in there. And, um, you know, and so the idea is to show what their capabilities are. So the game shows, you know, the U.S. military and theirs and how that might 
work out. And, but what I did was, which was kind of like something they weren't used to is I wanted, since I was a teaching, it was meant, it was meant for like use with West, it's unclassified. So you can use it with West Point and Annapolis. It's for military officers to use, to learn. And in the, the main scenario is a solitaire scenario where you're the Chinese and you get attacked by the U.S. So they actually have to manipulate the Chinese forces to stop the United States, which is not how they usually think about these things. And that's been really a big winner from a learning perspective. So it's a teaching learning thing. Not, okay. So know, to put put them in the shoes of the other side so yeah. that they can expect the unexpected type thing. Yeah, you know, and also understand Oh, so that's what that missile does, and that's what that submarine's for. And you know, they get to understand how to, and how it all fits together. That's hard to, you know, you could get a million briefings, but until you move the pieces, it's something about, oh, I didn't realize that, or right? Oh, wow, look at that. And you know, so it's a, it's self-discovery, and because it's solitaire, senior people or even any kind of anybody can play the game. It is not just a solitaire game; you can play it teams and all that stuff. But if you're playing it solitaire, you can have a senior person explore the game and the information without being embarrassed in front of anybody. That's really always the big deal, right? So how do you how do you go about designing something like that though? Like how do you get the information? Is it just oh, out there like Jane's or is it Jane's? Is is that Well, Jane's is part of it, but you know, did you ever see anything like Hold on, let me look. Uh, military balance what the hell is that? No, I have no idea. So is this this is a paperback. You can see it's a paperback, yeah. right? Right. It it has Everybody, everybody in the world's forces, all in class wide, but that little book. Uh huh. What, how much do you think that that book would cost? If you oh, I, I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't have a clue. Make up a number. Yeah, give me a number. Oh, two hundred bucks. Well, you're in the right ballpark. It's it's three fifty. Okay. All right. Wow. And it's compiled every year by an organization called IISS, which is the International Institute for Strategic Studies out of London. Okay. And, and the 350 actually is, you, you can buy it, but joining the organization costs the same amount as buying the book. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so a no-brainer. Remember, sure. you've got a copy. Right. Um, I haven't been a member in a long time, but every time I'm in Washington, I'll see somebody say, hey, you just got the new the new edition. Are you using the 2019 anymore? He goes, no, I don't need it because they you know, they go out of date. You know, you don't. there's no value in looking at one from 10 years ago, right? Sure. So- so I'm always able to scrounge a copy from somebody along the way. So see, I, I, I see that as thrifty. Like, well, yeah, I'm not going to spend three fifty for it, but right. But so you say, where do you get the information? Well, you get it from that, and there's a ton of unclassified journals. And when I did the project, you know, there were people. I did it with a, a group called the Center for Naval Analysis, which is a, um, you know, a government think tank out of D.C. That's who I did it with. Peter Pearl is a name you might know. He's there, and that's who brought me in. And they had a really good guy, a good guy that I know named Mark, um, Mark Markowitz, Michael Markowitz. And Michael, you know, he's an expert at all these weapon systems. So he got, you know, Michael, give me the numbers for this missile. You know, and it's all unclassified because he knows whatever. And so, you know, it's a collaborative effort. But I did the design and Peter did the development and and, and Mikey uh, did the, uh, you know, the numbers. So that's, that's amazing. So yeah. so the basically the Department of Defense pays you to design games for them. Um. They do on occasion, yes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's you know, that's really cool. And it's a part of my, you know, I um, in fact on Thursday I'm giving a lecture at my old alma mater, Georgetown, on war game, uh, war game. You know, my experience as a war game commercial designer and a you know Pentagon designer, and you know what were the you know what was that like? So that's what I'm going to talk about. And I, I heard they already have 100 people signed up, so it'll be a big deal. I'll do it online, of course. Like sure, that. sure. But that's I, awesome. I, 
but it's an area, it's a part of my life that I'm very interested in. So I get to still, you know, I pay attention to the the, the stuff, you know, I get to look at things and go, oh, and it, it has relevance to me still. So yeah, it's nice. You know, still do a little bit of that. All right. So crazy question, because I know there's going to be somebody out there that's, that's curious about this. So that, that game that you just showed that we were talking about, mm-hmm. like, can can anybody get that? Like, or is that just uh, that's owned by the DoD, right? It's owned by the DoD. Yeah, I I think some guy who had some, some knew somebody got a copy, but I was surprised. But it's not like it's 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 not like it's it's not like illegal to have a copy. Or sure, sure. No, it's I understand. Just, it's just yeah. you can't get it because there's only so many that exist. And and and, and anytime the government, and, you know, we did it so that it's a print and you know it. Um, you know, one of those print and play houses, or or print on demand stuff. Out. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so every so often, I guess they order 50 copies and they're, you know, they're expensive because you're only getting 50 copies. Of and, course. And they give them and they don't sell them. They give them to organizations that they who request copies. So, you know, but and I don't get royalties. You know, it's not like a royalty thing. I, I got paid to do it. And, you know, it's it belongs to the government. So I don't have, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. That's really. I just just answer rules questions. That's all. (laughs) That's that's awesome. All right. Uh, So what else? Okay, you had mentioned Pacific War. So Mm -hmm. what else? uh, What else is theory? Okay, right. Well, at that point, you know, I've got a, you know, like always, I have a a, around the corner is a refrigerator with a magnet holding a list of games that I'm working on. What do I got? Let's see what I got. Here's my here's my current to do list. What do we got working on here? Uh. Uh, see, after this, I'm going to be doing a Roman Civil War game. Oh yes, please. Yep, yep. There'll be a, that will be a classic CDG. So um, again, maybe you said to me, "What areas are you expert in?" Well, that's an area I know very, very. I did already did uh, with my uh, my now deceased but old buddy uh, Richard Berg. We did um, you know great battles of we did the great battles of Caesar. Right. So this will be the sort of strategic level look at that, and then you know there's a. Uh, I have oh and I'll, and I, and I think the next one in the Churchill series will be a game called Triumvir, which will be Julius Caesar versus Crassus versus uh, Pompey. I take my money. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, I 100. percent See I, that I, interests me far more than okay. Churchill, uh, Roosevelt, and Stalin. That I am all yeah. over. So you know, there's there's you know, like I said, here you know, here's the list. You know, it, it's a piece of paper. It sits on my. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that. All right, good. Yeah, I mean, I have to have a list. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but uh, you know, but I'm just going to keep designing games, and you know, if I don't get sick and die from the coronavirus, then I'll uh, I'll make more games. <laughs> well, please don't. And I don't no, mean no, no, that no, just very, because yeah, I want no, that triumvirate. I am being, like insanely careful which Good. is exactly right i Good. taking no chances nothing's going to happen to me as long as i can follow my i follow if, as long as they unless they drag me out of here i'll be fine you know so All you right. know this place has been there's nobody been in this place my wife and i so long that any any bacterial and we've washed it so many times the place is you know we're in a we're like the safest place in the world as long as <laughs> showing up, i'm safe i mean i'm living in a, i'm living i'm doing that fail safe bunker existence you know like you see that but no but we decided though that what we're actually living through is an entire season of the twilight zone as one telling <laughs> I mean, seriously <laughs> i mean i feel like that guy you know i, I watched the twilight zone i'm watching the twilight zone where they go you know this is not someone like what I'm going through right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I on occasion, like I'll go out and I'll go for a walk, like just around the block or something. Um, and there's, there's just nobody out here except when it's a really nice day. 
Yeah. We we had one day last week. What is this Friday? I guess earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, and I went for a drive just to have that wind go through my hair and you know just to breathe fresh air and get some vitamin D. But didn't leave the car type thing. Whatever. And we have a lake here in Wakefield that is. It's a beautiful. It, it's really. It, it really is a really quaint cute little town and we have this lake here and it's very popular with with folks just walking around the lake jogging whatever and man it's so frustrating to see how not everybody is taking it as serious as as they should as far as the uh, distancing and it's just like and to Scott Nelson, don't worry, we, we're not going to run out of toilet paper. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's all good. We're, we're, we're ready. Uh, yeah. Oh, hey, Clay's here from uh, Capstone. Hey, Clay. Uh, he and I were talking about some of your games as well, um, about uh, when things calm down, me making the trip out to uh, out to Cincinnati to visit with Clay and uh, his family there. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's crazy how... It seems people are either taking it completely serious or just completely gaffing it off. And it's the people that are gaffing it off that I think are going to make this go longer. Uh, I saw a thing the other day that uh, if we shelter in place through August, and I was like, April, May, June, July, that's five months. Wow. That's... And another thing that I hear people talking about is... is uh, Oh, can't wait till things get back to normal, right? Now, I use that term because... New normal, kind of, baby. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, normal doesn't necessarily mean go ba- going back to the way we were, but normal is in we can get outside of these four walls for the most part. But I wonder how many changes are going to stick well, from this. I, I I'm curious. It's interesting to me that... Um, so, I know... So, so obviously, this you know, video experience is going to be permanent. You know, people, families are just using this medium in a ways they haven't done before. You know, it's sure. becoming social contact. Uh, I, I see my granddaughters every day, multiple times a day on FaceTime or, and we had, you know, we just had Passover. So we just had a, we, we did a, a family Seder on Zoom. Uh, That's no awesome. Kidding. Yeah. We we found a uh, we found a ten minute seder. We we did all the prayers together, and then of course my wife's Roman Catholic, so you know today's Good Friday and Easter. You know we're gonna have hook up a lot of people for Easter. You know, you know, uh, you know nobody's going to church, but I certainly I, you know we're gonna make that happen. So we're still having you know some religious interaction. Right. We're having social interaction multiple times a day. Uh, you know my 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 my, my daughter holds the phone. She goes. And well, my granddaughter calls me Anka. I have no idea why. And she goes, hi, Anka. I go, hey, hey, Sophia, how's it going? She goes, and so, and my other granddaughter is a lot younger, but she's even, she even recognizes and she'll clap. She sees our face, she starts clapping. That's one of the things she just learned how to do, you know? So, you know, we're, we're interacting, we're being together as best as we can. Um, and you're, it sounds like you're able to visit with your family more than you would have had this not been going on. Well, I would have been at California, but everybody was coming in for Easter. I mean, no, no, no. I understand that. But I'm yeah. saying on a non-holiday, non-special occasion. Oh, yeah. Right. I, well, actually, you got to know my wife. I mean, she talked to my daughter multiple times a day anyway. So, oh, all right. All right. Fair enough. But, fair enough. But, all right. But normally, you know, 
the baby, you know, my, my daughter would have taken her to school and she would have been at gym class or, you know, swim class or whatever, you know, so it was a different, you know, she would go work. Hey, you know, it was like a different world, right? You know, you're, you're going around. What happened here? Oh no, we lost this video. You're still here. Uh, maybe I hit, I hit. No, no, I, it's me. Okay. There we go. Hey, welcome back. All right. No, I, I think. Every so often, I don't, and it may be something to do. The camera just decides to time out. I it, have, it, it could be if you uh, like if you don't hit your mouse or something, keep it active. Yeah, whatever. I think it's doing but, that. So I think that's what happened. Okay. But I've had it happen a few times. I just click it and it comes yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, you know, and 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 a lot of companies, you know, insisted on face to face meetings. I think they're now like my son works for Amex, and they kept thinking, well, we, you know, we got to be able to interact. And now the company will be operating for you know three, four, five months with everybody from home and they're going to go, what do we need all this commercial real estate again for? You know, what do we need offices? And, you know, yeah, it's, what, that's going to be really interesting now that people have, because I know that there are people out there that love working, the idea of working from home and who now have been able to do so for those that can, and they're not going to want to go back to the office. There are going to be other people that don't work well at home and need that. Some jobs you get like, if it, like, you know, technically, I mean, other than now, you know, I, I've had, you know, I've had to postpone doctor's appointment. I mean, doctors actually need to touch your body. You know, sure. Stick a, yeah, yeah. Right. Say, ah, uh, you know, that kind right. of stuff. So there's that. So right now, as long, unless you have COVID-19, which is horrible and is, is you know, often very deadly, um, a regular doctor's appointment, I've had, I've been doing telehealth calls. Mm -hmm. You know, my doctor had my yearly physical, but we haven't had blood drawn, obviously. We haven't, you know, really been examined. So we've talked, but, you know, that's it. You know, we haven't. That'll come later at some point. You know? Sure. Yeah, uh, I, I actually I met with uh, my psychiatrist uh, online uh, a yeah. couple weeks ago, and yeah. and uh, thankfully I had my annual checkup and all that at the end of February when all this before all this really came to a head. So I don't have to worry about that till next year for the most part. But so, yeah, um, it's I'm, I'm late on mine, but you know I'm fine. You know, I'm, you know, uh, but apparently you know, you're losing weight. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, working, you know, like I said, I, well, what I did was I, I realized that if I'm going to be inside for a year and I start eating, I'll be a billion pounds. So I just eat twice a day now. And that's just what it, you know, I always knew I could lose weight if I stopped eating and and by cutting, you know, weird how that happens. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, you know, denied food. So I've been eating better than ever, but eating less. And that's been, and now I don't need as much food. It's funny. I've, I feel much better. I, I didn't feel bad before, but I actually feel better. So it's fine. Um, and I'm working out because of the rowing machine. I can I can row and and you know once the summer comes, I do have a place. I not Cape Cod. That's first of all, if you have a New York State plate on a car and you leave New York State, it's like a plague ship has trying to leave New York. <laughs> you know, so they they stop you. I've I've been told by people. I mean, it's been on the news. I haven't tried it, but I've heard like Rhode Island. They the cops will stop you at the border. Say, what do you get? Turn around. You can't go through Rhode Island. Wow. Yeah, I've heard stories like that. I don't know if it's even true, but I don't blame them. Why do the heck that you know? Sure. They think well, I, it, it just got announced today, right? That uh, New York, the state of New York, has more cases of COVID than any country on earth. Yep. So I'm telling you, this is all going on. So this is right. That direction is um, First Avenue. Mm -hmm. Make a left turn. Um, you go down to 34th Street. So that's uh, you know, a little less than 20, 18 blocks away. And as I told you, the, the three main hospitals of Manhattan on the east side, other than New York Presbyterian, New York Presbyterian, which is up on the Upper West Side. The three main hospitals, Langa, you know, NYU, Bellevue, and Sinai are right there. And it's a hard, you know, luckily, it looks like it, at least in New York, we're 
you know, we're all doing exactly what we're supposed to do. You know, we're st- staying at home, staying out of each other's way. And the disease is starting to hospitalizations are starting to really drop. Right. And that means two weeks from now, the deaths will start to drop. You know, it takes about two weeks to for the, it's a lagging indicator. So it'll it'll get better. But nothing will have changed other than the fact that we're, you know, we've shut down the virus spread for now. But if we all came outside, it'd go right back up again. See, and that's my biggest fear. As the weather yeah. gets better and people are like, oh, everything's fine. We can go. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, I, I I know more about this than most. And, you know, from uh, my experiences in, uh, you know, war, you know, my book, it has a whole chapter on, you know, the once in the future bird flu, an entire chapter. I, I work with the um, WHO, the UN and the United States on pandemic um, responses. And we had, you know, Fauci and Navarro. And I, in fact, uh, if you go to my book, page 223 has a summary from the UN guy, Navarro, telling you what he learned from playing in the exercises back in 2006. Then wow. the big thing was the avian bird flu, the uh, the uh, H1N1. 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 Yep. But they 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 knew that this was this day was coming. It just didn't know when. And more or less, um, you know, if I look back on what's going on right now, uh, we're we we did nothing based on all that. I mean, this is just like, oh, look at this, like being run over by a truck and saying now I'm hurt. So a lot of people are going to die still. And that that is just a horror show for me. I, mean, I I'm an American and any American dying from this just is, is breaking my heart. It's just breaking my heart. And I, and it, it just really, it's like I said, it, until there are three things that will change my behavior, like not leave my apartment or, you know, carefully by myself right. there, the testing is just not there. Nobody can tell anybody. And I know I'm hearing that some of the tests, well, I don't want to start any rumors. So testing has got to be in major everybody right within the whole bit and, and we're nowhere near that two there has to be some therapeutics you know there has to be something like like a tamiflu like if you start getting this thing they give you you, know, you take something and you know you're not going to die that's that's a big deal and ultimately a vaccine and there are i heard there was over 20 active trials of vaccines that's never that's unheard of so this will have an end and i just in plan i plan on being alive when it happens. I appreciate that. As a friend of yours, I, I would like that. So please. Yeah. And, and it's a tough situation here. You know, like I said, 777 people, I just saw the statistic this morning, died in New York yesterday, in New York City yesterday. That was yesterday. That's and, a crazy number, maybe, isn't it? Maybe before that was 700 and almost the same. I think it was actually a little bit, a, a couple lower, you know, so that the death is just horrendous. There, if you go down to Park Avenue, they have refrigerator trucks. So you got a very expensive park avenue apartment. You look out the door, you're gonna see refrigerator trucks with as morgues going up and down wow. the streets. It's that's a lot of there's not enough room. They're putting them sure. everywhere. That's I, I heard about the uh the mass graves. They're they're uh they're uh, oh, those, digging. Are the those are the those are the unclaimed mm-hmm. uh, bodies. You know, there are homeless people who passed away. They don't know who who, who they belong to, they had no ID. Sad as hell and Yep. Yeah, but you know, we, we take care of our own. There, you know, we have a place for them, and sure. But still, uh, last thing on this is yeah. uh, so. Let's, uh, let's get to a better topic. Well, Joe asks, uh, uh, do you think New Zealand, which is trying an elimination strategy, has a realistic chance of success? You know, I'm not a doctor. Okay, I, fair enough. I, I have what I what I know is what are the three things I told you. Until you can test, until you have a therapeutic, until you have a vaccine. This thing goes on at some level. I mean, that's just how it is. Right. You know, how immune anybody is who's got it, I have no idea. I've heard all sorts of different stories. I'm not a doctor. 
You know, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's actually funny, but it's, um, so I had this guy named Andy Marshall who was my mentor and he passed away a year ago, February at the age of 97. And no, I saw him. Yeah. I saw him in February. He died at like the beginning of March. So, but, uh, a year ago in 2019 and, you know, I love the man. He was like one, like my father after my father passed away. So I was, I went to visit him in February, he had congestive heart failure and, you know, he was on an oxygen tank and he had an aide and, you know, he was, in, he was in tough shape, right. but he had a great sense of humor. And uh, so I'm with Andy and I go, Andy, so how do you feel? And, and so I, this is my answer. He goes, I'm not a doctor, but I can read an actuary table. <laughs> 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 and he was 97 and, and I had a, I, I, I sat with him for about 90 minutes. He was exhausted. You know, he hired out. Sure. But I hung out with him for 90 minutes. We had an amazing conversation. And, you know, I love the guy. And I was pretty sure it was the last time I was ever going to see him. And I was correct. I was I was going to see him. Well, I would I would have seen him at the end of March, but he didn't live that long. But that was the next time I was down there because he was down in Washington. So I got, you know, so, you know, so the answer is, is, you know, I can read an actuary table. These are, you know, it's, these are tough times. Yep. I, uh, so I'm I'm pretty good friends with uh, Eric Brocious, uh, who's a big. Uh, I, I, I you might know Eric. I, don't I, I know, know the name. I don't okay. Know. So I and Eric, uh, he's retired now, but he used to be the head actuary for one of the major insurance companies in the country, um, like yeah. it, like Liberty Mutual type level, yeah, and he was the head actuary. And so it's it's interesting to have had discussions uh, with them when all this was starting to kind of kick up. It was it was fascinating to me to watch this email chain because what we were planning on doing was getting together for a learning game for me for of 2038, uh, 18xx in space. Okay. And it was going to be me, Joe Huber, Joe Roshana, and uh, and Eric Brocious. And now all these guys are, they're older than I am. I'm 44. I mean, I'm not a spring chicken, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not your age, for instance. 65, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm and so they're all, they're all, I mean, Eric's retired and, and the other guys are getting close to retirement age as well. And so reading the, who they've been in contact with and how big the risk is and all that on whether or not we should risk it. And at that point I was like, you know what, fellas, it's not that important. Why don't we just wait? Let's just table it. And yeah. then things got really bad. And I'm probably not going to see them for the foreseeable future, unfortunately. But I would rather my friends be around. Yeah. Uh, and not saying on a selfish point of view, you know, yeah. standpoint, just I would like my friends around, you know? Yeah, so. look, you know, we, look, we're, we, we, we're the day you're born, you're on your, you know, nobody gets, as my father used to say, nobody gets out alive, you know, so right. that's the human condition. So I get that part, but I'm not ready yet. Right. And no, no, please. And and the only thing that can disturb my good health is what's going on. So, like I said, my wife and I are taking this very seriously. I'm, and we're trying to, you know, we're keeping each other's good spirits up. And I'm working, you know, and, and I'm hanging out with friends. On hey, exactly. So I think this I, is so important. Yeah, I, I don't feel alone. And I have enough. Luckily, my apartment's not teeny tiny. You can see what's going on behind me. That's This is, by the way, the my game design studio, if anybody didn't know. Uh, you can see it behind me. That table... Let's see. I got. I got. I got the problem you've it's, got. Yeah. See, see it's, it's there. there you go. It's there. There. There you go. Yeah. And there. there. Pointing at that. That table uh, is holding Pacific Wars on it right now. Uh, and then the table beyond it. But you see that TV set. There's another table under that. That's got Empire of the Sun on it. 
And then around- that, hold, hold, hold on, let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Every time that you and I have touched base, there's been a Empire of the Sun on a table somewhere. Yeah. Is that just permanent? Just um, stays? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that's I mean, that awesome, man. That is awesome. Is a bad thing? I don't know. No, not at all. I think that's amazing. I think that's fantastic. I just, yeah, I, I love that. I that's love that that's the, the case. Story. So, so I've been playing Empire of the Sun, you know, for almost 20 years. You know, I designed it five years before it came out. So I've been playing it for you know over 15 years since publication, but let's call it 18, 19 years in its current form. And um, so we hold tournaments still. You know, there was a WB uh, World Board Gaming Championship online tournament. And this guy, Chris Crane, who runs a tournament, really nice guy who now runs the tournaments for me. I don't I used to run them, but I decided I got too many other things going on. So I kind of gave all my tournaments away to other people unless it's a new like when Versailles comes out and I actually get to WBC again. I'll hold the you know, we'll hold I'll run the Versailles tournament for the year, first year or two, and then I'll give it to somebody. And that's sure. how right. Yep. <clears throat> Having so, gone to that, I'm familiar with how that works. Yeah. OK, so. Um, so there's a beginner option which is, you know, if you play the opening, uh, you know, the best scenario is like 1943 or the South Pacific scenario for just a balance. But if you want to play like the whole campaign, which they were using <laughs> tournament, uh, there's a, uh, an option. So what's called a historical hand. And I created that so that if you're a brand new player to empire of the sun, I would, you would get, you would start off with three really strong cards and then you would deal out four more. So you're going to end up with a good hand no matter what happens, right? Okay. And this way you could perfect your skill as a beginner. So it was a tournament and Chris said, what do you think? I said, well, let's use a historical option and see what happens. So, uh, so now you've got, got but these are not beginners now. The guys in the WBC, you know, this tournament actually, some of them are really good players. I would, I would, I would be defeated by them or defeat them only by the barest of margins now, right? You know, so these are good players. So if you give a top-notch player this incredibly strong hand, I even wrote an article about this back in you know C3I27, how to use a strong opening hand. They had created this sort of a rapid attack of the China Burma India theater, which kind of like freaked a bunch of people out if they hadn't seen it before. You know, they go, like, what the hell? And they were like shut down and they were blown out and they said the games, you know, I, I lost and I, they, they, they would surrender, you know, and I was like, okay. So everybody, of course, everybody comes, bark, bark, you know, it's like, daddy, daddy, it's broken. Oh, <laughs> After all these years, I said, well, first off, I've seen all this before. So, but here's what we're going to do. So we, we ran um, over on CSW where I think most of the really strong players hang out and mm-hmm. I, that I play with. And what we did was I said, here, I'm going to take, here's, I put out two hands of cards. One was an even more powerful Japanese hand. Here's the allied hand. And let's play it out and see how this thing works. So we, we did all that. And, and I was, and, and, and what was discovered and it was come from a guy, by the way, who I did. He's actually a pretty strong player, but I, not a guy I knew before. I think his name was Greg or something. He goes, what about this? And we started discovering a lot of allied responses that I hadn't even thought of or seen because, you know, they were doing. Once you see what they're doing, you go, OK, here's what you, they're trying to. They're stealing activations to go attack earlier, but they're leaving things in the Dutch East Indies untouched. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, we could do this counterattack with the British in Malaya that I never saw before. Well, that was a surprise. And oh, by the way, we could, you could do this, you could do that. And so all of a sudden we came up with all these new maneuvers like we had enhanced. You know, that's why I'm actually writing an article for my next column, replayability and balance. And so what we find is resident within the game 
were resources that were yet unexplored because of this new way of, you know, of attacking. So now we had a new way of defending and counterattacking. And then we played a, um, a, a, I played everybody. I, I played the allies. I let them play the Japanese and we played it. They played the open hand just so I could see the conversation and my cards were hit, but it didn't matter. I didn't have great, you know, I didn't have extraordinary cards. Right. And, um, we played it out and, I don't know how much you know in chess, but in chess, like you can sacrifice a piece as long as you gain, comp- you know, territorial compensation. Yes. You got to get something. You got to get comp. If I give up a pawn or a minor piece, what am I getting for? Do I get a big attack to win the right. game and all that? So what ended up happening was they went after the CBI and every time they kept saying, when's he going to respond to our attack? I just ignored them. For sure. I ignored their attack and I built, I did a whole bunch of different moves that they hadn't seen before. And I had a but I had a staff of two, uh, Francisco and Joel were on my side. But you know, I was dry. I knew what I wanted to do. And then at the end of the turn, on the last card, we relieved the Philippines in plain orange, which is very rare to do. Okay. So all of a sudden, MacArthur's back in supply. The Dutch East Indies haven't fallen. Malaya hasn't fallen. They got a good position in in Burma, but all of a sudden, if I was playing a campaign game, they were busted. And by the way, I had it so that guaranteed on the end of turn two, Burma would be back in supply and all these troops were going to flow in on turn on turn four. And they couldn't stop it. And I showed them how they couldn't stop it. So they spent all that effort and it was a blown game for them. So I said, I'm OK with this attack. I don't need to change any rules. You know, it's just, well, it's just just like they hadn't seen this attack before. They hadn't seen this counter for said attack because no one had. Yeah. Given reason for that to come up, right? right? And so, but, but again, it was it was a true experiment. You know, we 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 did it in a controlled way. We looked at it, and a lot of people were, you know, when a lot being like, you know, maybe fifteen people were participating who knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I said, okay, we're good. You know, the game, the the, the meta game, as you know, uh, Richard Garfield, you know, called it, has been rebalanced. You know, there are. There are responses that are not we, – we had developed a style of play over you know, a decade, uh-huh. and now somebody kind of perturbed that and said, oh, we got it. Now we, we, we broke it. And he goes, well, no, look, we, 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 we unbroke it. <laughs> <laughs> without, having, without having to adjust the game. No, but that's when you say, why do I play it all the time? Because there is so much depth in – look, many games – I could name 100 games that have – serious depth and you had to play them chess for example sure my chess game is or go or so, anything like that so yeah my chess game is eroded so badly it's ridiculous so in fact now on sunday at 9 30 i'm gonna start playing my son again you know by skype just so we could get like i won't embarrass myself but the point is there's so much depth to these games that if you play them over and over and over again you don't get to the point where it's always the same. I'm still learning stuff. I'm still seeing things. It's still interesting narrative. So you say, why do you keep playing in part of the same? Well, because because I, I there, there's still more juice in the. Uh, I I get that, and I I have learned that, and I I say it tongue in cheek with you because I, I understand. Yeah. But the guys like Eric Brocious and Joe Huber and everything, when we would go over for game night, when things before all this came to be, on a Monday night, uh, I would say. Half the time they're still playing 1846, and and Eric and Joe they have well over 200 plays of yeah. of 1846, and because they know it, they can get it played in two hours, and they still see things that they've never seen before, and there's still things to try out and to experiment with, and I think that's amazing. I I love yeah. that about well, well designed games. 
what would be cool. The game says this guy named um, his name is Tim. He goes under the uh, handle of Board Game Bloke. Mm-hmm. He's an English guy who lives in California. I've played with a few times, and he's he showed me he has a journal. He has played like um, Battlestar Galactica, which is one of my favorite multiplayer games. He's really, played, he literally has played it five hundred. No, no, but uh, you, it's one of your favorites, really. Um, fantastic game. I don't get to play it enough, but huh? It's a. I mean, I mean, where else can you get to go? Like, you're a Cylon. You're a Cylon. <laughs> I mean, it's just, That's I awesome. Oh, it's a. <laughs> I, I play that at, at the drop of the hat. In fact, I've been trying to get a game going, but it just it's a you know something. It's like a game that a lot of people don't want, don't you know, haven't played in a long time, or they didn't like the series. You know, there's a million reasons. But when you get a group of people who want to, we used to have at WBC every year. We used to play Battlestar Galactic. There were like three games we played once every year. I played um, Viking Fury with a group every year at WBC. We played a game of Battlestar Galactica, and of course, my favorite. Uh, conference game uh, atlantic storm you know and i so you you mentioned that yeah uh i have pacific typhoon sitting up here and i'll play it some in last year we used pacific typhoon instead of atlantic Atlantic. storm yeah so i'll play either one of those you know uh they're great games you know it's it's you know it's uh it's bridge for for uh, war gamers, you know. <laughs> it, it really, it's, seriously, that's so spot on. And I've been, I've gotten it played uh, before all this came about uh, two or three times with the local group. Oh, it's and fun. it's a hoot! Oh, it's a blast! It's so much fun. Yeah. I actually, I actually made it to the semifinals at WBC the year I went. That's impressive. And uh, I, I couldn't roll a one twice. And if I don't, then I make it to the finals. Rolled a one <laughs> twice. You had to you had like the Bismarck or something. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was. Where you get the dice. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, it, I'm still bitter about that. It still yeah, pisses. Ah, yeah. oh, oh. Like I said, the the two. I, it's a toss up. What goes on my gravestone? It's either going to be the dice love no one, or follow the sequence of play. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I get. I've been getting rules questions on games, you know, for a long time. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I might, might have told you the story before. Uh, I, I don't care. Be, tell it again. Go ahead. I, I used to be the um, rules editor for SPI. Yep. You know, you remember the famous uh, self-addressed stamp envelope, the SASE, right? right? Yes. So I, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in, I've been working here for like, I don't know, six, eight months or whatever. And uh, Dunnigan walks in my office. He goes, congratulations. You're the new rules editor for SPI. I go, oh. Thanks. Who is it now? <laughs> he goes, Frank is, it used to be the rules editor. You're taking over for him. Go see him. We'll give you whatever the backlog is. I said, okay. I go, I go down the hall. Frank was an, you know, Frank Davis, uh, designer of uh, Wellington's Victory, you know, uh, brilliant uh, designer, uh, a character on his best day. I mean, just a real interesting fellow. So I go, Frank. Uh, and Frank, for some reason, I never touched him, but Frank always thought I was going to hit him. I don't know why. <laughs> you're you're like, not a violent guy, Mark. I, you know, like, hey, Frank, I'm not going to hit you. <laughs> so I said, Dunnigan just says, I'm, I'm the rules editor now. He says you have a couple that haven't been answered. He goes, oh, yeah. So imagine he's got a file cabinet. Oh, no, 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 no. Five, uh, four or five, I can't remember. But I think it's a four standard four-drawer file cabinet. He opens up the top one. The envelopes are stuffed. It's not like they're in order. There's just envelopes stuffed down like a, like a cube of paper. Every drawer was the same. I go, okay, I'll be back. So I go back into the um, back room and I get like a garbage bag. Okay. I hold the bag open. I said, Frank, put the envelopes 
in the bag. So he reaches in and, and we were, it took us like 30, 40 minutes to get them all out of the file cabinet into the bag. The bag looks like the bag is like ways. It, it looks like Santa's bag, right? Yeah. And so I take the bag and you got to know, <laughs> I have a, a, a weird sense of humor. So I go to Dunnigan. So I get the bag and I put it in my office, but I don't tell Dunnigan. I go to Dunnigan and say, Jim, here's the deal. I'm happy to do this, the rules question. You know, like I have a choice. I'm, I happen to be a rules editor for SPI, but I need the R. And, and it was like every Tuesday or Wednesday was, I think it was Tuesday, every Tuesday afternoon for about two hours was the R&D meeting. And, and I, you know, so I said, I, I need, uh, I need all the backlog answered by the, by the designers. He goes, I'll tell you what, we got the R and D meeting in a couple hours. We'll have the meeting when it's over. I'll turn it over to you. We'll put out, the, we'll hand out the envelopes and then we'll answer them and we'll be all caught up. I said, Oh, oh awesome. And he has no clue. I did not hit no clue. So now and real quick, hold on. Jim Dunnigan, head of SBI, for those that don't know. Dunnigan, so, Redmond's in the room. Yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah. everybody's you know, The R&D meeting was like 15 or 16 people. So who's at the meeting? It's Jim Dunnigan, it's Redmond Simonson, it's Irad Hardy, who was head of R&D. You know, Brad Hessel, who was, a, you know, the deputy. Uh, Joel Balkowski, uh, Richard Berg, uh, Frank Davis, of course. Uh, Ed Curran, uh, me, of course. Uh Every designer was in the room, you know, all 16 of us. It was about 16 of us. Wow. So I walk wow. in. And so then he goes, hey, listen, before we're done, we got another half hour. Mark's going <laughs> to answer some rules questions and we're, we're done. So I I go back. I had it in the hallway. I come out and I just I'll be it, right back. Whoosh. And now there's a pile. I mean, there's literally <laughs> a small. And everybody's sitting there like, and Berg, of course, is in rare form as always. He goes, <laughs> whatever he was saying, I couldn't even repeat it. Hey, hang on one second. I have we, we got to bring him into this picture here. Hang on. And, and no, no, it's cocktail hour. You can repeat it. So there you go. Rest in peace. Keep his Richard. picture here. Yes. So Richard, so Richard, so so Richard goes. I can't believe, Davis, you let this get like this. <laughs> so, so then literally. We were there, so this is like about four o'clock in the afternoon. We were there to at least 10 or 11. And literally, you reached your hand in, you grabbed it, and they go, and you'd look at the, what the game was, and you go, hey, Davis, this is your piece of crap. And I hand it over to <laughs> and go, hey, Berg, this is your problem. You know, so we were sitting there, and you'd answer the question. Of course, the, the commentary on the questions was, you know, it was – it was X-rated. It's stupid. You know, I cannot believe he couldn't figure this out. You know, it's just going on. It, it, it's the same thing that happens behind the scenes, no matter where you are. Because I'm sure you get rules questions still, and you're like, "Are you kidding me? It's right there in the rule book." I, or I, yes, I, I, I've learned. I this might have cured me of that actually long, long ago. <laughs> you know, look, the answer is is we do our best. Sure, but they're complicated games. And it's easy. And by the way, the audience now, a lot of my audience, you know, at least probably close to half, English is not their first language. Yep. You know? so it's, yep. So you got to be very, I want to be clear, I do not uh, hold a grudge. I just answer the questions. And if it's in the rules and sometimes somebody goes, oh, I don't understand this. Well, they'll tell me you should have worded it this way for me. I said, all right, well, let's well, fair enough. All right, sure. I'll, right, right. I'll, I'll take it under advisement. But, but the point was, we were there all night. They called in pizza and sandwiches. And we just... And it was a hoot. One of the most funniest nights of my life. And we literally answered 
had to be a couple of thousand rules questions. I mean, literally, that's how, well, that's why I got the job. Frank hadn't answered a rules question like in forever. You know, I remember one line at Berg, what he goes, hey, Frank, this one is, this one's four years old. Do you think he's still alive? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think he's still playing the game? Do you think he cares anymore? (laughs) I mean, that's how bad it was. So, and of course, after that, I set up a whole system. Like, I would get the rules questions, and I would literally, I had a, a pad, and I would go, Berg, here are three rules questions, and I and you have to hand them back to me, and you don't get off the list until I get them back and I mail them. You know, so I had a list, and then and then everybody got into the. So then, you know, we were on schedule after that. You know, I me, mean? I'm, I, I, I'm very good at logistics. I'm not going to fool around. These people deserve to have their rules questions answered. And goddamn it, if I give you three questions, answer them, and I'll know you did because you handed them back to me. And so. Things got really good after that. We were never behind again. But Mark the, Herman, Taskmaster, Master. So it's all about it's all about organizing the troops and getting them moving in the same direction <laughs> on time. Well, obviously, Jim knew what he was doing when he gave it to you. I think he was actually didn't have any other answer in his mind, but maybe he thought I could do it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I and also I had a way of you know I was young and I was not going to take. You know, I was like, I had to give questions to Iris. I read, you know, my boss, I go, could you answer these two questions? And I'll and just tell me, no, when you're done, I'll come pick them up. You know, <laughs> Sometimes I would sit there and go, well, you can answer them right now if you want. They're not many of them, you know, and I just stand here. <laughs> you know? But it was just one of those things. But, you know, like I said, the, that nowadays, you know, somebody gets a game, they're writing rules quick before they even read the rules. You know, it's like, yes, how does this work? Or I, I, you know, you know. What I'm going to tell you, I design games. Uh, some of them, you know, somebody, I remember somebody getting mad at me about Fort Sumter. They said, this game is really kind of trivial and, you know, it's got no theme and it, you know, kind of sucks. And I, I know, you know, it's not a Mark, Mark Herman game. And then I get letters from like all of these other people go, finally a game my wife really likes and she understands it. And we, we played in 20 minutes. And so the answer is, is, it takes a it takes a village, right? Sure. You know, Fort Sumter has a following that is not my normal following, but a lot of people will play the heck out of that game. And now it was doing it was number four I saw on um, on sales for on sales out on the uh, electronic game sales in Steam. It, it's now fourth. That's awesome. Yeah, so on, on the on the war game side. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, war game, but you know, you know, it's like right up there with uh, you know, with Twilight Struggle. You know, so. People are, you know, people are going like, oh, wow, here's a cool game. Wow, it plays really well. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm having a good time. I enjoyed myself. And not only that, but I see it as doing a service to the hobby because if now people are like, oh, wow, there's this, what else is there? Whether it's a Mark Herman game, GMT, no, whatever, it doesn't yeah, matter. Right. Um, it just it broadens the, the horizon of more I players. My, I designed it for my wife and her friends, you know, that they would – and they kept saying, it's really hard. And by the way, my wife will still tell you that she thinks Fort Sumter is really too complicated. And I can tell you, I find you a hundred guys that think it's too simple. You know, right. you can't make everybody happy all the time. But I like the fact that you can, you know, you can uh, do different things. And, you know, I did I did that. And now I'm going to do some, you know, now I'm doing Pacific War. So Fort Sumter, Pacific War. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Apples, thing. giraffes, whatever. And, yeah. And by the way. If you played Fort Sumter and you thought it was a little bit difficult, please do not buy Pacific War. Don't do it. Don't do it. Away. Don't do it, man. Well, and it's, I imagine it's going to be a pretty sizable box. We're actually talking, you know, right now, I think a three inch or three and a quarter is the biggest they make. It might get to four. Uh, I don't know. 
Tony's working on the components right now. As soon as they get the component price, it'll go into P500. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a beast. You know, it's gonna have two mounted naps in it. You know, so that takes up. You know, that's already like sure. Oh yeah, it takes up half the box. Right. It's got at least eight counter sheets. You know, what size counters are they? Half inch uh, or five eighths? There's a size in between. I think there's seven sixteenths. Okay. All right. They're not the sound like sockets all of a sudden or wrenches. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, they're they're bigger than the old half inch, but not by much. You know. But we would have made them bigger, but then they would be like twenty counter sheets. You know. Yep. And and the other thing is, the maps would then be four maps, and you know, I got to keep it within. You know, and people are gonna, you know. The people will complain, I, you know, I can't read the numbers. And I said, I don't know what to tell you, but, you know, don't go, don't, if your, your eyesight's not good, don't buy Pacific War. You know, yeah, exactly. I have glass. I have, I have a magnifying glass if I need it. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, there's and no I, shame in that. I mean, I for the first time in my life, I had to break out readers. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, you see uh, la- last, last I checked, uh, Father Time's undefeated. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in Versailles, that was, you know, is a, is a nice, you know, light lighter game you know plays very fast it's gotten I, I actually think that that one has a shot for two reasons one in a weird way it's going to come walking on the market when there's not a lot of new product finally you know there's so much new product coming out all the time and you know a game would have to be extraordinary to catch on i think versailles has it i think Versailles will get a better shot just because it's that kind of easy fast strategic thinking kind of game but not so much that you burn your brain out very simple yep. to learn um and it won't have you know forty eight thousand new releases going up against it you know at Essen, you know so it might have a shot and speaking of which like we were talking about earlier like origins just got postponed i think honestly i think eventually it gets canceled um i'm worried Gen about Essen. Gen Con. well i'll be honest with you i am as i told you i don't think i don't think Essen's going to happen unless there's a vaccine Think and about, I can't see any way there's a vaccine that fast. I don't see anybody wanting to see 200,000 people get together into that conference hall again. It, it, it is the pinnacle of the year for me. It is the most well, I was important. Gonna, you know, I actually had, we had, I was booked to be there this year. I was going to release a new game at Essen, um, but I'm not going. Uh, I will go. I, I got to wait. Till, you know, Governor Cuomo, who's an amazing governor of mm-hmm. our state here, who's I think keeping us all alive at this point because of his, you know, really diligence, he said it like this: "Is that this is a period of time, and and I'm just going to wait till the period of time is over. Yep. And we get into the you know the vaccine phase of the game. And as soon as we're in the vaccine phase, then everything will be fine as far as I'm concerned." I think that's smart. I, I, I think it's reasonable to uh, to feel that way. For me, I don't see any way Gen Con happens. I don't see any, uh, I, I don't think Origins is going to happen. Um, Essen, like I said, is a super important thing for me and the show, but I'll, I think that's highly suspect at best. What I've learned is I am not relying on the prognostications of anybody but myself now. In other words, I think I understand this problem very, very well. Uh, as I said, there's a whole chapter in my book on this from the work I used to do. And so based on that, I got my plan. Now, I, I I wish everybody well, and I hope that whatever the various powers that be make decisions that are smart and uh, well-considered. But I'm not playing. I'm going to do my own game. I'm well, my- uh, somebody, I, I forget who said it uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last week here on one of the uh, shows that I was hosting here. And they said if a politician... A doctor, 
or someone else gives you advice yeah. when it comes to health stuff, follow the doctor yeah. or, you know, something like that. And yeah, just common sense. Use your head, be smart, be safe out there or in person, there as it yeah. were. Yeah. I'm um, definitely uh, sticking to that. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, uh, I'm looking forward. Actually, I probably will. I don't know if I'm going to have time. It's already 1030. I don't know if I'm going to do it tonight, but uh, I hopefully uh, this uh, played I have will get me through uh, a turn of here I stand. I mean, I know the basics, but I haven't played in a while. Uh, it should be. I'm the Pope, by the way. And OK, All right. I was going to ask. I, I, okay. I got to I think I think I got to I got to remember how the uh, the ecclesiastical debates work. I think I, that's why I fight the Protestants. Is right. Like, yep. I'm, the when I'm at the stake and, you know, that kind of good. The stuff. last time I played here, I stand. I played as uh, the Ottomans. I was Suleiman oh, yeah. and Suleiman ended up in the uh, in the dungeon of the Pope. Didn't go well for me. No, did, did did not go well for me at all. Yeah. I uh, they asked me <laughs> if I want to be the Habsburgs. I said, you know what? I haven't played in so long. You don't want a weak Habsburg player in that game. I said. So no. I said, give me the Pope. Uh, oh, the Protestants. I actually like playing the Protestants the most, but uh, I, I find I actually most of my wins in here I stand come with the Protestants. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, you, um, just, you guys got to get you guys got to get into into England. You got to you got to turn the Scottish Protestant, and then things go your way very quickly. Trevor asked in chat, said, uh, the U.S. is notorious for continuing with imperial measurement, while other countries, especially uh, manufacturing, use metric. How difficult is the translation in uh, in design and uh, in publishing? Publishing side, I don't know how much do you do on this as far well, as... Well, I remember I used to run a publishing company. Well, you know? I get fair point, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. So the answer is, it's irrelevant, is the answer, because you're giving... The mechanicals, you know, the printing has its own registration marks on it, and the die that you make to cut it is all set to, you know, so the 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 uh, published the it has no effect on anything. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, everything is everything that you use as your materials, and you could use metric, you can use English system. Um, we use English system here, but the Chinese who use metric have no problem using it because it's all in the artwork. The artwork's set up a certain way, and that's that's how it is. It's not yeah. like you're using some standard. You're not trying to do anything. You're not standardizing anything in game publishing. So I, I guess that makes sense because every counter sheet's going to be different, right? So that's a or, good point. Or a company will have a standard counter sheet that they use. McGowan has a standard, you know, half inch, five eighths inch half, you know, for his C3I magazine. You know, every company has a standard that they use. I created when I did Churchill. I hate clipping counters. I just think it's crazy. So. I like sprueless counter sheets, like you know, having church where you get to punch the counter. You know, you punch them out. It's a punch board. You punch them out. Yep. And, they, and the counters are not next to each other. You know, there's, there's, you're leaving a lot of cardboard. Now, for Pacific War, I wanted to do that, but quite frankly, again, it'd be at 16 counter sheets because right, it'd be yep. stupid. So, you know, I so I insisted that they get a new die so it'll cut really well. So you should have, you know, if, if unless you're a fanatic about it, you wouldn't have to. Which I'm counter clip, not. right? All right. Which let's face it, there are a lot of there's there's a massive thread on BGG about counter clipping. So yes, there always is. Yeah, yes, always. always. Yeah. All right. One more question here. Uh, Franny asked earlier, and I think this is interesting. Uh, uh, the uh, commercial game design versus uh, simulationist modeling. How how do those two things differ? As far as when you design a game, whether it's for the DoD or whether it's Churchill, say for instance. Yeah, that, it's funny. That's a, that's the essence of the talk I'm giving, and I'm and I'm actually thinking about that very question. So it's a great question. Uh, Where we came up with Friday did yes. Yeah, good job. Uh, so 
I have been very successful in DOD getting people to play manual games. Why are manual games better than computer games for the DOD? Okay, that's a simple question. Okay. So the th- the three things that drive cost in a computer game are the graphics, right? Sure. The graphics is a huge amount of money. Yep. Then there's the interface. You know, how do I interface with it? And then there's the um, the underlying the model. coding itself, right? Well, yeah, but the, but remember, all of those things working together, right? I got to be able to interact with the simulation, mm-hmm. the graphics, and then there's the um, you know the the actual uh, simulation itself. Okay. Okay. A board game. And, and by the way, every time you want to change code in a computer simulation, you know, that's not like, oh, I'll have it done in 10 minutes. You change code, you got to test. I mean, it's a process to change code. It could be weeks, months, cost, all that, right? So when I was working for DARPA, which was the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, doing a lot of gaming, I got them into using manual games. So what we were doing was... I can change the graphics. It's all paper. I can change the, you don't want a hill there. Look, it's gone. You know, I, you know, I can do anything I want with real maps. You know, just put a real map down. I don't have to make anything up. We just play on a real map. The, the interface is I have a hand, I have eyes. I grab piece, I move piece. That's my graphic interface. So I solved ton of, now I just got rid of 80, 85% to 90% of the cost of a computer simulation just went away. And by the way, I can change the simulation piece. Oh, that new sensor is 85%, not 83%. Here, scratch it out. We're playing with 85. Right. And we also had the advantage that we could use um, classified um, combat models for like gunfire and, you know, how, you know, really real ballistic kind of models could be used on the side for some of that stuff. So we literally could, we could play a round round of, of a game with technologists they could say, "Hey, I want to, um, I want to change this from this to this." And instead of that being like, "We'll get together in a month," we'll be we're ready to go now. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I literally could make the change in real time, <clears throat> and we could keep playing. Right. That cuts the cost and gets the thinking going and lets you do everything you want to do. Much better than computer simulation. Now, when you get down to it's a final system and you want to train somebody to fly it. You don't need a simulation; you need an emulation. You know, it's got to like if I'm going to f- learn to fly like a like an airplane simulator for like an airline or for a, a bomber or whatever it is. You know, the guy sitting in the cockpit with real instruments and uh-huh. moves. That's a different kind of simulation, and not really simulations; those are more like emulations. And we've done some things where we used, um, you know, if you wanted to have a radar work, we could feed into the radar software an actual signal. And have it react to an actual signal, even though we're not moving the dish around. Right. Like you know, used to fix, used to be a helicopter fi- uh, maintenance guy, right? You know, uh, fixed wing, but yeah, F-18s. F-18s, right? So an F-18's got some very sophisticated radars and mm-hmm. sensors on it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we would back we, then it was APG sixty-five and APG seventy-three, but yeah. There you go. So we could take the the actual um, module that feeds the radar. Mm-hmm. And and where the where the radar would feed in a real signal from the real world, we could feed in a modulated emulation of a signal that would be perfectly correct. And the module then the HUDs and everything would work exactly right without having an actual radar in the air. Right. It would work exactly the same way. That's an emulation. So to answer the question, there 
they're different disciplines, but it depends on what you're trying to do. So when you do a war game, a war game is an anthropological exercise with humans. I don't really care about the fidelity of some of the underlying, I can get simulations to, you know, big war game simulations to run tanks against tanks and all that stuff. So to give an example, let's say NATO, like the Baltic States comes up a lot. So let's say you wanted and you wanted to get six brigades of armor into the Baltics to stop a Russian attack, right? Mm -hmm. Once I got the six brigades there, I can run a combat model and see what the answer would be. You know, they, they attack and, you know, they got combat models that do a reasonable job of all that. The real interesting question that, that that can't answer is what happens when the first guy, there's no six brigades there yet. What happens when the first battalion gets on a plane to fly there? What happens then? If you can fly the first battalion in and then the, the six brigades in, there's going to be no war. But if there's going to be a war, as soon as the guy gets on the first battalion, gets on the plane and leaves, that's when they're going to do something. I ran an exercise to this guy, Andy Marshall, a long time ago. It was about Star Wars. Um, and, you know, so President Reagan, when is it? 1983, I think it was. He gave the famous Star Wars speech. You can look it up. It's I remember the exact. I know it's early 80s. It's early 80s. I don't remember it, but I'm familiar with it because I was so Reagan eight. gets up and he says, we're going to do this. We're going to build this star. You know, he thought his mind, he's president and smart guy. He says, mutually assured destruction is unethical. I cannot, in good conscience, the President of the United States decide that the way I'm going to protect you is that if they if they kill all of you, you're going to kill all of them. He said right. that was ethical. So we need to have a defense system. That was the rationale for it. I'm totally reasonable, uh-huh. logical way to look at it. So he gives a speech saying we're going to put up these you know space stations and all that stuff and we're going to defend ourselves. So the conversation immediately goes to, well, leakage was that they decided that, you know, if one missile gets through and hits L.A., it's going to kill, you know, 10, 10 million people, that's a defeat. So the system has to be perfect. And of course, everybody's going, let's price out a perfect system. That's going to cost, I don't know, more than the GDP of the United States. Right. So I was asked to come in and run a series of war games. And the question on the table was not what does a perfect system look like, but if we started building a system, when would it start to, to actually matter? Because as my, my Andy Marshall said to me, he goes, I understand what happens when we get the entire perfect thing up and running, but what do the Soviets do when we put the first one into space? What is the reaction to the first one when you only have one? Okay, That's really the issue, because a war game can look at that. I can run a simulation about if I had all these battle stars up and you shoot missiles and sure, right, all right, this right. kind of lasers and spacecraft. I've seen up. that movie. It was war yeah, games. I saw the movie. I, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I saw the movie. Um, but what happens when you put the first – that's what a war game does that's different – than a computer simulation. It's just different. And so we ran the exercise and the, the test game was we just to get a baseline, we said the United States has 15% defenses. And the idea was this is not gonna matter and we're gonna run the simulation. Then every game we're gonna add 10% until we get to a number that starts to change the equation, right? Okay. This is all my, is all my book. But, what, but, the, but the mind blowing thing that happened was that 15% defenses changed everything. And you can read it in the book. I don't. I can get into the technical details, but it changed everything. And all of a sudden, any level of defense was valuable, even if it wasn't perfect. Changed the entire equation. They were able to build a program, and and I think it contributed a huge amount to the discussion. But that was one war, one of the most famous war games I ever ran. 
Wow. Yeah. Was that was that the first one that you did or no? No, I've been no. doing it for a while at that okay. point. But this, right. one, but this is one of those moments when, you know, I've run, I don't know how many war games, you know, five, 600 war games in the Pentagon. But that was, wow. you know, one of, of three, of, of the top three, that was, that was in the top three. That, that must have been surreal to experience. It was, it was surreal to everybody. It was, it was one of the few times where I was just, I didn't see it coming. But well, apparently no one did. No, nobody did. We didn't see it coming. Wow. So, okay. So hold on. When you're, when you're designing this, right. Do you not see it then? I mean, well, I don't know what the decisions are going to be. I don't know what they're going to remember. I'm not, I I have become, because I've been experienced, because I've been in all these war games, it's like I got multiple graduate degrees in this stuff, but I wasn't a military guy per se, but I've dealt with the experts on all these different topics. So the guys that were in the room were all strategic um, you know, nuclear guys, they knew everything about the topic. And so, and I got to live and I used, and I, you know, for about a two month period, I was living with these guys practically. So at the end of the day, you just pick up the whole thing, you know, I'm pretty smart and you know, I pick up stuff and then I can converse with them. And I, of course I had a graduate degree and so it wasn't like I was totally unfamiliar with the th- strategic, strategic nuclear warfare is one of those things that nobody's an expert because nobody's ever done it. Sure. So it's all theoretical, it's right? Really, so it's probably one of the few areas that I'm an actual expert in, uh, because I dealt with you know the, I dealt with some of the you know the, they were near the end of their lives, but you know um, you know uh, what's his name? Oh, God, my mind's but I dealt with all the big guys at one time. One of my mentors was a guy named uh, um, Tom Rona, who was you know Reagan's uh, deputy science advisor. I used to work for he used to work with me to make me better. You know, so, like one of my mentors. This is, uh, this is amazing, man. This is fantastic to listen to. So I know, and, and then I've worked in logistics and I know maintenance. One of the funniest stories, we were doing this uh, war game once and it was, uh, you know, NATO versus Warsaw Pact and you, and you'll appreciate it because you worked in fixed wings. So you'll appreciate that what happened and, you know, and let's just say without the details of the scenario, everything is broken. I mean, it's like really broken. And we're trying to figure out what would the, how many sorties can the Air Force get into the air? And we had an F-15 uh, jock in the room and he goes, if I got one engine, if I got 6,000 feet of, of straight, you know, pavement, and I got one one weapon on the rail, I'm a sortie. And of course he's a fighter guy, right? You, you, see, you see those sure. guys, right? Yes. And so that became the definition of a sortie. If you can get a plane in the air, with regardless with any kind of munition it was a sortie and in that environment that was about that was significant because the other side had the same problem right they can't put a plane in, you got to get the plane in the air with a the munition then you have an airplane in the air with a munition right you know and that's and if the other side has none then you have air superiority you know? <laughs> <laughs> the air, you know? i got it i win you know <laughs> We, uh, not to go too far off the rails, but one of the coolest uh, experiences I ever had when I was in the Marine Corps is we were deployed, uh, we were the first Marine unit ever deployed to the country of Hungary. This is when, uh, let's see, when Kosovo was going down. So that is in 99. Yeah, I did a lot of work with UAVs in that period. Okay. Um, I didn't know what a UAV was back then, uh, but we were we were deployed 43 miles from the Serbian border. And uh, it was it was probably the most serious. 
Well, we were bombing them. It was real. Yeah, it, it was the most serious time that I've ever had while I was in a Marine Corps. I I, I never w- never went to Afghanistan, never went to Iraq, nothing like that, because it bookended when I was in. Right, it, uh, Desert Storm was before, and then everything else was after uh, I got out. And the one of the most amazing, just cool experiences that I ever had was the Hungarian Air Force have MIGs. Oh, yeah. And I got to sit in the cockpit of a, what was it? I, I think it was a MiG-25 and a SU-17. SU-27, sorry, SU-27. Well, the 27 is a little bit more modern than the 25, but yeah. Oh, my God. That was... <laughs> That was amazing. I mean, to sit yeah. in a MIG, right? And and then to watch these guys, and these guys would show off. We had like an impromptu uh, air show at the end of our deployment there after things had essentially ended uh, there in Kosovo. And the some of the Hungarian pilots were just insane. Like one of the SU-27 pilots would go up, stall both engines, hammer-headed over, and then reignite before he crashed. And, like, our, I'm standing next to our pilots going, he's fucking nuts. <laughs> and it was just it was just one of those cool experiences. Like, it wasn't planned that there was going to be, like, an air show type thing. But I mean, the moment happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that, really was, that was a lot of fun. Is, uh, well, he's Dr. John Jonathan Kale, but he was... Um, you know, he's Captain Jonathan Kale. He was an F-14 jock. And uh-huh. came when I was first married, uh, he was in um, he was in a squadron. I think he wasn't yet operational, but he was in training still. And he flew one of his first cross countries with the F-14 from wherever he was out of California back to Andrews. Okay. And he yep. stayed with us for the weekend. And then I drove him back to the plane. I actually got to sit in the cockpit. And he put me in the cockpit of an F-14 He said, look. Don't touch anything, and especially don't touch that red button. <laughs> that was the ejector seat. I said, "Yo, that's like, you know, it's like they're, said, they're all pinned and they're all safe and everything." But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't fuck around. So I sit down, I sit in the seat, and I so I sat in the cockpit, and so you know, I was kind of cool. So on the when I drove him back, he says, "Go to the end of the runway and wait." So I take my car, I go to the end of the runway, and then what he does is. He goes down the runway. He stands it up on its tail and goes straight up. That's awesome. And it was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he had to get clearance from the. Yeah, I'm sure he had to get clearance. Sure, from the, yeah, to be able to do that was, kind of takeoff. It was yeah. something to see and the noise. Oh, you know, you've been around those engines. You know, when those two engines kick into like whatever he was kicking them into, it's like. Oh, well, well when I was on when I was on deployed on aircraft carrier, I made two deployments on aircraft carriers. On the second one, I was what they would call a final checker. And a final checker is a guy that basically you have two of them. One goes down the left side of the aircraft, one goes down the right right side of the aircraft as it's taxiing up onto the catapult. So it's moving forward and you've got your hands looking at everything, making sure nothing's leaking, nothing's stuck, nothing's sticking out that's obviously wrong. And then you get back uh to the engine and I'm about as far from me as I am from that camera. So maybe six, eight feet. And you can't go any further, you got blown across the deck. Right, and so you give thumbs up after the pilot does his wipeout, all the moving surfaces move, you make sure there's no leaks, nothing sticking, anything like that. You give thumbs up, the other side who's close to the cat officer gives thumbs up and the cat officer shoots him off the deck. And the pilots have their hands up on the uh, canopy. They're not allowed to hold uh, the stick and the throttles are in full afterburner. And so I'm sitting six to eight feet away from the back of the turkey feathers of a, of a plane when it's in the afterburner. 
the most amazing thing. It is unbelievable. It's part of the reason I don't hear very well, even though I had double hearing protection. Yeah. But it was amazing. And it's a constant shoot. As soon as that plane uh, shoots off, the jet blast deflectors are going down. You're moving out of the way. And the next aircraft is taxiing up. What sucks is whenever your plane, your F-18, is behind an F-14 Tomcat. Now, the F-14s have been retired now, and now it's all the bigger version of the F-18, which is the E and the F. And I, I was working on Charlie's at that time. But the Tomcats, they're turkey feathers. Their engines are massive. Yeah. They are huge aircraft. You get caught behind one of those, and the and, and the, the, the the plane pivots on you. All of a sudden, you're like, shit. And you get down onto the deck, grab a pad eye, and hope your skin doesn't melt because the engine is on you. So you're constantly doing this up there. And it's, well, they say it's the most dangerous place in the world. A hundred percent. We had a typical cruise or a six-month deployment. It's called a cruise. So only one guy got killed. No, five to six. I mean, it's a city of 5,000 people. So over the course of six months, losing five or six people it's pretty yeah, normal yeah. in the town. Both, times, both cruises that Kale was on, um, somebody you know got killed. Uh, the one, but one of them he was because it was they were already coming back in, and he was the OD. He was the one who escorted the body back. But what happened was, mm. uh, missed uh, missed the wire. Mm. Plane was going over the side, and they ejected, but the canopy went across the deck oh. and caught a kid. You know, that's what, you know, that's what happens. So for those that don't know, when on an aircraft carrier, there's four wires back there that the plane, they drop their tail hook and they come in and they land on. It's the most dangerous place in the world to be ever. Um, you should not be up there. There is a line that you cannot cross. If you yeah. cross, you get to go talk to the air boss who's second in command on the ship. You don't want to do that. Thankfully, yeah. I never had to meet the man. Yeah. Um, but being... 18, 19, 20 years old at the time and just being fascinated by this stuff, I'd go up there and watch them land. And I'm literally standing right behind the line in the catapult or the uh, the the wire. the wire is two feet away from me. And these wires are about yay thick and they're steel cable and they're with enough tension to stop a, I don't know, 20,000 pound aircraft in yeah. the span of, I don't know, 80 feet. And they, and they and they snap sometimes. Oh, they do. They do. And when they snap, they go through everything. Yeah, everything. Like you, if you were standing there. Oh, it, it, you, you wouldn't even feel it. It would go right through you. Yeah. So horrible place to be, but amazing at the same time. What, uh, one more story on this. Sure. We were. Uh, this was in '95. Yeah, it was on my first cruise. And this is when Yugoslavia was breaking up. We were doing circles into Adriatic and doing missions over Yugoslavia. And, well, okay, two stories. Number one, when war became real to me, I never had to dodge bullets. So I never saw war in that regard. But being aviation and being avionics, we had our secret clearance and we got to watch the tapes from the FLIR video, the forward-looking infrared pods that were we'd install and, and troubleshoot and everything on the aircraft. We watched the video one night of we when- We blobology. Huh? We used to call that blobology. Okay, all right. Uh, when one of our pilots got back and one of his missions was to drop a bomb on a barracks. Mm -hmm. And I'm 19 years old 
And it just really hit me for the first time that when I saw this bomb go down and explode and the building essentially is no longer there, yeah. that I'm thinking about my barracks back in Beaufort, South Carolina. And I was like, holy shit, like these are just kids my age just hanging out, probably playing Xbox. Well, I guess back then it was PlayStation, but uh, but yeah, just just chilling out. And next thing you know, gone. And that's when it really kind of hit me. I mean, really hit me what it is that we're doing out here. Think about it. You know, in the Gulf War, I never forgot. I, I think we took something like I want to say two hundred ish people were killed, which is of course two hundred too many. Sure, but close to a hundred of them, close to half of them was a Pennsylvania water purification unit from the National Guard. They were sitting in their barracks. Yep. And a Scud missile launch, a Scud got through and hit the barracks. Majority of the, that was the unit that took the highest casualties in the Gulf War, as I recall. And, you know, just like you said, they were sleeping. You know, they were from, you know, Pennsylvania North, you know, uh, National Guard. They they cleaned water. You know, they they ran water machinery. Mm -hmm. And now, and then they're all casualties in a battle because of a missile the missile got through, you know, so it's war is different than it used to be. You know, it's the, these long range missiles and all that. They just change everything. Yeah, very much so. Uh, last one to kind of piggyback yeah. on the on the uh, the the recovering of aircraft um, are. Oh, I, I have more of my tonic coming in, apparently. All right. Awesome. Hi, cool. Jess. Thanks. Uh, Mark says hi, by the hi, way. Mark. So. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Thanks. Um, so here we go. So our commanding officer had gone out on a uh, on a mission and had some hung ordnance. Hung ordnance. So bombs, missiles, whatever, they're held on by two hooks, and they have CADs, which basically when they hit the the button to drop the ordnance, whatever it is, or to launch the ordnance, um, the, the CADs, basically, they're small little explosions that blow the hooks open, and it goes. Easy enough. Sometimes CADs don't blow. If the CAD doesn't blow, it's hung. So it's got one hook holding it on. Could be the front one, could be the back one, but only one hook. So... It's it's not exactly armed, but it's it is. So, but he's got to land, and he can't he can't get it to drop. So they clear the flight deck, and our shop was directly below the flight deck. So our ceiling was the flight deck, and we're watching on the closed caption TV, which is basically this little camera that's embedded in the flight deck, and we're watching him come in. And there's cameras pointing at different directions and everything. And he hits, and the impact of him hitting, uh, the ordinance drops off. <laughs> so here is, I think it was, I think it was a harm missile. I don't quote me on that. It might have been an AMRAM. I can't remember. But this missile comes going, skids off the front of the of the of the of the landing uh, of the of the flight deck and goes off into the ocean and for that moment you could have heard a pin drop everywhere because just i mean there's a missile that just went skidding off your ceiling yeah so yeah that was that was well, kind of surreal <laughs> yeah well, that's what i'm saying you know just well, during the gulf war you know even though you know, I was asked on NP I was on NPR radio, and at the time, and the war was hadn't started yet. They were saying things like, you know, 
you know, what do you, they were saying? They were throwing numbers like 20,000 casualties. 30, right. Sure. Well, I, because I all they had to go on was off of Vietnam, right? Going into the Gulf War. Go off, they were running these combat models. Right. And I, right. Uh, and I had another combat model that I was running and um, called uh, the theater analysis model. And, and when I ran my model, I said, you know, I said, I honestly, it was really counter counterintuitive. I said, I think that if we do what we're going to do, less than a thousand casualties in the war. And there, these other guys are saying 20, 30,000 casualties. And I was in a meeting, it was a very high level meeting. And I, they said, Mark, give you a briefing. I said what I did and what I thought was going to happen. And it was like, if I had, you know, you know, said to somebody something bad about their mother, you know, <laughs> and, and these guys all started yelling at me. And then this colonel who I work with, who I love, he go, he managed to use the word, the F word three times in a sentence as a noun, a verb and an adjective. I thought that was amazing. The, the grammar of that. But the point of the story is, is that, you know, I was obviously much closer to the truth. Nobody ever, I was acknowledged for that, but later on, but the main point of the story is if you had the military, those same number of troops in the United States, peacetime, we would have lost about 3,000 due to car accidents, drunken driving. So in a weird way, we go to war and 2,700 kids don't get killed. (laughs) Because they were the safest place in the world because that was a study that was done. I was just going like, wow. I mean, just as an aside, I mean, this horrible thing that's going on out my window, literally, I don't know if you heard all the sirens in the background. Um, There's no traffic accidents in New York City right now because there's no cars moving anywhere. It's a fair point. The air quality has never been better. I'm not saying this is better than that. I'd take that any day of the week. But there are these weird, like, you can you can see L.A. now. I mean, 800, 8 million cars. Are yeah, yeah, there's, there's no smog, support. right? Yeah. And, I, and I, you were saying this earlier. I think that a lot of people are going to say, why am I driving an hour in traffic, an hour in traffic back, to have a meeting that I can, I've been having in my house for the last three months? Yep. Well, I think the world's going to be different. I, I hope I hope we learn from this. I'm a lot more pessimistic, but I ho- I'm hopeful. I'm pessimistic in the reality of it, but I'm hopeful. So Martin Fowler, friend of mine and part of our group up here, uh, who's a big to-do in the computer programming world, Okay. Um, he works for a company that has global reach. They have offices all around the world, and he was scheduled to go to this global conference, which I don't know where it was. Maybe it was China. Maybe it was Japan. It was somewhere not here. Yeah. And now this company, obviously no one's traveling. And so they're having to do this via teleconference. And I wonder, and we were talking about this, we, we had a group Zoom with my local group, just the, hey, how are you guys doing? I haven't seen you guys in a while. And so a bunch of us got together and just hung out for a little while. And he was talking about how if this goes successfully, does this show that, hey, maybe we don't need to fly, you know, dozens of people halfway around the world, this and that, et cetera, et cetera. And so I wonder I wonder how this changes the world. I'm really. Yeah, I think the biggest the, in that case, it'll be interesting to see if time zone matter. You know, it's you know, like, oh, and, and they, they've set up meetings and they've yeah. color coded because of exactly because time zones. Right. Yeah, I used, so. to, I used to run a very big organization that ran literally around the planet and. 
we used to hold all of our meetings at four o'clock in the afternoon in Virginia, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the reason that was, is it was late in Europe, but right. still you could be up. And early in the Far and East, right? Like crack of dawn in Korea. Right. And we could hold our meetings at that for four to five. We could have a meeting where, yeah, the guys were getting up at five in the morning, but they're, they're, most of them had been in the army, so it didn't bother them. Right. And the guys in Europe, it was like, you know, 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock, and then they went to bed. So, but it was the only way I could hold a meeting with these people. But so that is the only real trick when you do many time zones. Right. And they apparently they had something like, some uh, every every time zone but one I think around the globe they they they're having to manage with this which yeah. logistical nightmare don't get me wrong right but at the same time yeah I, I, well, yeah uh, very very curious to see how this changes the world um, yeah just it's it's surreal anyway. it's still in, in my day to day life doesn't feel completely altered because I work from home anyways. And the only real difference for me is I don't have people over to play games with. And obviously there's more things going on than that. Like it's been forever since I've had a haircut. That's hence the hat. What do you think I have the hat on too? Yeah. Right. I hear you. Uh, but it's, I can't wait for my ponytail. I'm going to have (laughs) Well, okay. Hold on. On the flip side of that though, I worry about my barber like legitimately, right? Because my barber, he cuts hair for a living, and he's also a, a, a personal trainer. You know what he's not doing right now? Those two things. Yeah. And so how is he going to be able to make a living? So I'm concerned for him. And I, I it's hair. I don't care. Big yeah. deal, right? Yeah. But it's his way of making a living. So, I mean, it, it, it's like every little pebble, the ripples of it just go everywhere with this. And it's just. Like I said, it's a period of time. Right. We, we will come out of this. We'll all uh, sit in a room and play games with each other again. But in the meantime, you know, I'll sit here with, with Richard. There you go. <laughs> and we'll. Uh, and I'll be honest. I mean, would it, would it be great to be able to go over there, you know, and, and play Empire of the Sun with you in person, give you a hug and share a meal, shoot the shit and have I'd a blast. Hug like Justin, and you just to be clear. But OK. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I I would like, I would prefer to do that. But you know what? This, this isn't a horrible compromise. You know, I was with, you know, I I bought Jess dinner on her birthday. You know that the last ex. Yes. I I was last time I saw her. She looked good. She was, uh, she was having a good time. Yeah. She's, she's holding up well. She's got the kids um, going a little. I, I can't to anybody out there that has kids. (laughs) This is summer break times a hundred, I imagine, because they can't leave that. Like you can't like here, go spend the night at so-and-so's house or, Hey, you know, trade off with parents to where they can watch the kids and give you a little time away. And Jess has the kids half the time and they're just in the house. Yeah, she'll, she'll put them out in the, you know, let them go out in the yard or whatever, or maybe they'll go for a walk somewhere, but it's still only a small, finite amount of time. Yeah. My heart goes out to all the parents out there that are dealing with this. Cause I'm telling you, my heart goes out to everybody. Oh yeah, obviously. Okay. But, but, but I get, I get, I get I, now you know, if you heard all the sirens, you know, the alternative, not so good. 
A hundred percent. Everything's well, relative, right? Or not, I'm going to, my wife is, I think Carol's trying to go to bed and she's like right around the corner. Let's, so let's call it a night. All right. So Mark, thank you for doing this. This was fun. It was good to catch up with you as well, my friend. Um, to everybody watching, I know we didn't get to a whole ton of questions, but I'll be honest, if you guys are watching this or listening to this, you just want to listen to Mark's stories anyways, just like <laughs> I did. So I think we're fine with that. That was awesome. Thank you. Seriously, I'm glad uh, that you were willing to do this. Uh, real quick, um, tell folks how they can get in touch with you because I know you're on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, just uh, I'm easy to get on Twitter. Uh, you can get me on um, Board Game Geek. You know, I get, geek, I get geek mail all the time. That's usually the easiest way for people just to reach out to me if they have a rules question or they want to ask me a question or whatever. I get that all the time. All right. <laughs> and um, easy to find. And on Twitter, it's Mark Herman 54. Mark Herman 54. There you yeah. go. Awesome. All right. Uh, tell the missus uh, we send our best and uh, hope best. So you guys. All right, buddy. All right. Take care. Be well. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you all later. Take care, everybody. Be safe. <laughs>